on today's show. We are getting to know Lorenzo. But first, a word from today's sponsors. AndrePsyche.com is gone, but Andre Psyche, the man on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, is alive and thriving. You see, dear listeners, Andre has adopted a minimalistic lifestyle for materialistic things like websites, mattresses, cars, his hair. However, his creative libido, never accused of being minimalistic, always recognized as fully stimulated, and is often posted on social media. Why? Because he's the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up, Andre Psyche, the next time you're looking to add some clean, creative stimulation to your social media circle. Listeners, listen up. Get 25% off your next or first pair of Shady Rays sunglasses by using the promo code GETTING. Use GETTING, that's G-E-T-T-I-N-G, when checking out to get 25% off the best sunglasses around. Shady Rays takes extreme pride in their multi-layered lens technology made for high visibility and strength to be shadow resistant. And with free shipping and a lifetime of lost or broken protection, why are you going to choose any other brand? Go get you a pair or two by going to ShadyRays.com, perusing their polarized sunglasses, and then using the promo code GETTING when you check out to save 25% off your order. Dear listeners, support the Getting to Know You pod for as little as $2 a month on our Patreon. Your money will go towards the cost of producing, distributing, and improving the quality of this podcast. Again, you can go to our Patreon, the link's in the description, or just search it, Getting, the number two, no, the letter U, pod, on Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, the Getting to Know You pod will continue to get better. Thanks for your support. Two bucks, a little too much. Well, here are three, three ways. <laughs> that just makes me giggle every time I do it. <laughs> to help, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to us on. Friend or follow the pod on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Go to Apple, write a review. Those will cost you nothing but your time and will mean very much to us. Finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. If you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. The podcast is downloaded internationally and coast-to-coast across the continental U.S. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. And Lorenzo has the accomplishments that all of us in life should strive to have. Thank you so much, sir, for uh, taking time and coming on the Getting to Know You pod, letting people get to know about you and your work. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all, man. Thank you for, for inviting me. We, we, we're a small state, and we really need to get to know each other better. Uh, I think when you know people, uh, relationships form, and you get along better. I, so, so thank you for what you do. 
Yeah, it, it's a community thing, right? And um, absolutely, I, pre- I appreciate you saying that because that's something I didn't expect when I had started the pod. To then, in my head, I I just saw like social media, and I kept thinking like expansion out of the state. Right. You know, like I want a wide range and audience. But then, like here and there, you started getting to have people on from Delaware and part of the community, and it's um, it's fun, and I think it's fun for listeners. Absolutely to like listen into a small little town like Southern Delaware. Um, Cause a lot of people are like, where is that? Is it on the East coast? <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm born and raised in, in Southern Delaware, Cape and Lopen, proud Cape and Lopen, uh, Cape and Lopen alumni, oh, alumnus. Okay. So. Gotcha. Yeah, me too. So I graduated in 99. When did you graduate? Uh, in the eighties, uh, like 80, 89, I graduated. Uh, okay. So that's, and Haywood's so much better at the sports history and not that it always has to be about sports, but the eight eighty nine were they still that powerhouse powerhouse or was that early eighties where Cape was it, it just was dominant? it was early it was early eighties but we had some pretty good uh, um, athletes in, in school you know we I came along with the air of Bill Gibbs and the um, uh, Marcus Hall and all those guys gotcha and were you hanging with them were you an athlete absolutely a- absolutely absolutely <laughs> I, I did I did some wrestling in in, in Lewis Middle School I did. Um, basketball, but I really started to focus on academics because, as you as you will hear in my story, I, I was labeled a a slow learner uh, in elementary school, uh, a problem kid. Um, now here I am with four degrees, uh, including a master's degree, no money for college. So I, I'm the I am uh, the Sussex County or or the story that that kids should um, know that they can achieve anything they want, no matter what it looks like. To be comfortable. Now that that's yeah. so, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a teacher, and okay, it's something um, I've taught on both sides of the county, west side and east side, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's something that I've noticed, and it concerns me. And we, I'd love to hear your opinions on this because I've noticed the overrepresentation of minorities in special education populations, and I really wonder in my mind how much of that is attributed to cultural differences in the person making the decision of the low achievement. You're not getting your scores high enough. Your standard achievement score isn't correct. And it's not so standardized. You really, it seems to me like you need to be more qualitative, not so quantitative with making well, well, decisions. That, it is that, but you also understand culture and some of the communities people are coming from. My background is in, um, getting rid of violence, reducing crime and violence. Typically what happens in, in, in certain communities that if, if trauma happens at a young age, I'm talking about uh, when I travel, I often give this, this story because people often say, well, why do people, why do these people carry guns? Kids carry guns. Could you imagine being three and seeing your father beat your mother daily? By the time you're five, you see your first serious, serious assault on the way to school or you've been robbed. By the time you're six or seven, you may have seen your first dead body. This is all before your frontal cortex is developed. This is stuff that people in war, I'm a, I'm a retired military veteran also, that we see and you get go to basic training to get trained for. Could you imagine seeing that stuff at five or six? And then you're expected to go to school as if nothing happens. And oftentimes that manifests itself in the classroom as uh, behavioral problems, um, being defiant, and, and research is clear. Kids who grow up in like violent neighborhoods, say Chicago, DC, or anywhere, 
they are delayed simply because they're having those problems focusing and concentrating. And I think what happens is when kids are labeled early, they get stuck there. For sure. So, so I, so I say all that to say it, it could be a litany of things. Yeah. But I think we don't do a, a good enough job to um, offer trauma informed care for those kids coming from those communities. So, if you have a kid have an accident in high school and say a family member dies, you will get a, a screenshot or email saying, "Hey, we'll have crisis counselors on, on site." Imagine being a kid going home to inner city Wilmington, somewhere in Western Sussex, or anywhere where a family member has gotten killed or seriously injured. They expect to shake it off and go to school, and there's no crisis counselors there yeah, for them. Nobody knows, right? Because nobody it's knows. almost like they don't have an advocate, or they they don't hang in the same circles as the people who send out the emails or make the notifications. So a- absolutely, how would they know? And absolutely, and they, and they might not have the relationships within the school to notice. Hey, you're a little sad today, Lorenzo. Everything go all right? right. Hey, man, you normally don't right. sleep. Normally, you're good by period two. Period one, you kind of struggle, <laughs> but you're in your groove period right. two. You and know, everything's like, about standardized tests, right? So yeah. if, if Lorenzo's not keeping up, you're part of the problem, Lorenzo, not noticing, like you just said, picking up on what is that person's kid's baseline? Yeah. Wow, he's going to be a joyful kid. What, what is going on? Because classrooms have gotten so large. I don't have to preach to you as an as a oh, educator. Dude. Teachers and, and standardized testing and stuff, people got to, oh, we got to get through this. We got to get through this. We got to get through this. So, so those are some of the things that play into it. And, and I just believe every school, I wrote something the other day, that every school should have trauma-informed care training for every staff and have people on staff to address those things as well as restorative justice because these kids are really crying out and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Man, I did the numbers the other day, and I know Delaware passed a bill. I believe there's a – and I, I'm, I'll have the numbers a little jacked up, but it was like a counselor in the building for like every 450 kids. Absolutely. Right? Impossible. Yeah, so I think <laughs> right. I start doing these numbers. I'm like, eight-hour day, let's go with no lunch, and let's go 30-minute sessions where I see you once a week, right? Yeah. 16, yeah. 16 sessions a day <laughs> times mm-hmm. five is 80 ki- – oh, well, 450, but how, how do I – How do I, I? I can't. I'm still – You can't. You cannot. Even if you were a teacher and, and 100 kids in a middle school, you're not going to be able to spend a half hour with counseling seriousness. Now, you can give some academic feedback a lot quicker, right? Whole group, mm-hmm. one minute, two. But when you're talking about healing kids going through things, the, the numbers, I, I was glad something got passed. I was upset that the ratio was so high. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I gave that spiel just to say that there, it's not typically always just a bias. It's the fact that we have to under culture sensitivity to understand what this kid is bringing to school for them to learn, right? Mm-hmm. If I come from home and I'm hungry, do I really care what Mrs. Sean has to say right now or I'm worrying about what I'm going to eat? Not or if I had to worry about being abused going home, am I really concerned about that or I'm worrying about what I have to face trying to walk home? So, let me ask just uh, to focus on you for a moment. What do you – I'm sure you've reflected on it. What do you think it was about you that got you classified as – was it actually special education? Did you wind up having an IEP or – I, I, I didn't. I got held, actually. I got held back in the first grade. Um, oh. th- that's what's weird about it, right? My um, my mother was like, well, they said, well, my mother worked two jobs. You know, my father was there, but a single mother who pretty much worked and handled everything. And coming home trying to get homework done and all those things, and and, and I, I guess I fell behind. And they were like, well, they were quick to say he's a slow learner, he's attention deficit disorder, and all those things. So what I decided to do and say, you know what? 
I can't get stuck there. So I carried that stigma. I didn't get into special ed, but I carried that stigma, always second guessing myself because of that label. Yeah. So when I got to 10th grade at Cape, I'll never forget Miss Hopkins was a, was a math teacher, algebra teacher. And, and I went to her and I said, you know, I, I'm really struggling. I need help. She said, you know what? You can do this. I'm willing to help you until you stop wanting to put forth the effort. Mm. I passed that class. And from that point forward, I knew that that stigma wouldn't last. And I'll often tell kids, you are not simply a label. When people label you, shake it off and keep moving because that could yeah. damage a kid, uh, oh, you know, hearing dude. things like that. So you get class, not, not you in general, just in the broad right. sense, right? You or a, a student gets classified. Think about this. <clears throat> Learning disabled. Yeah. And then once a year, there's a meeting talking about your disability. Yes. And you don't even know how often that gets brought up in home. Right. Just through conversations, you're going to a doctor, teachers would know about this. Imagine if that was your label at the age of six and now 10th grade algebra is hard. Well, you know, I've always been learning disabled. I just I guess I just can't. Absolutely. And my grades weren't bad. They were average. And then once I did that, I started to excel. Um, The issue was we didn't have money for college. Um, My 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 opportunities were limited. Yeah. I, I never forget, I told my mother, I said, well, I'm not going to college, we can't afford it. So she ended up saying, "You have." she gave me a bill and said, you have to pay something, you can't live here for free. <laughs> I, I had graduated from high school. You know, anybody knows, um, parents, uh, especially black mothers, will tell you, hey, you can't live here for free. You, you're, you're grown now. <laughs> she sent me to this this place to work, and it was called, it was Townsend at the time, by Mount Air, the, the poultry plant. Oh, man. I went there the first day to get a job. And I had a pair of penny loafers on, a pair of shorts, and no socks. And they said I had to work into boning, which is a cold freezer kind of thing. So I, that's how ignorant I was to that that world. Right. I worked during high school. I had to. I worked two jobs. I worked at Boulevard and on Route, on Route 1 and then went to Popeye's in the evening okay. um, just to pay my way through. Uh, high school and make sure we have clothes for school and all those things. So I went there, and, and, and the first day someone brought me clothes, the smell was so rancid. You know, you got chickens coming down this conveyor belt and blood dripping, and, and that made my stomach nauseate. So I, I went home that first day. <laughs> so I tried, slept all day. Went back the second day, and I said, Mom, I can't do this. I have to go to the military or something. I, <laughs> she said, I wanted you to see that. To understand yeah. that if you didn't, the opportunities were that limited for you. That's wisdom right there. And I, I, I have a fear of coddling. So I have my own daughter. She's 11. And mm-hmm. I, I want her to suffer. <laughs> I want her to struggle. Absolutely. Not, not indefinitely, but right. to recognize, number one, it builds resolve. But number two, that work ethic of it could be like this. It could very easily, your day could be a 12-hour overnight shift for, I don't know how much, how much were you making an hour back then? Like seven, I mean, eight? Seven bucks, maybe six something. It, it yeah. wasn't much at all. Yeah. Um, but but, but I, I think my mother's intent after our conversation wasn't to make me stay there. She wanted me to hate it so much yeah. that I chose to do something with my life because she understood what Sussex County held for me. Yeah. If I just said I'm leaving, get, getting out of high school, not going to college, yeah, no aspirations or anything. So I end up uh, signing up for the military, the Army, uh, during that time. And it saved my life. 
what I mean by that, it, it showed me the world. And when I came back from basic training, I just had this different thought about myself that the world is bigger than my where I came from. I can do it. That I, I kept trying different things simply because when you overcome the challenges of basic training on your own, away from your family and all those things, you, you feel like you can accomplish anything. And, and I think that's what put me on the trajectory of, hmm, I can do this thing called life and to be pretty successful in it. And the military helped pay for my school. Yeah, right. um, the only time I got a student loan was to complete my graduate school, but they paid a percentage of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have anything. So, so, so that was my saving grace to get out of my limited surroundings. A lot of children, a lot of young people from Sussex, if you don't get out, the world is bigger than Sussex. You have to understand that the world is big. It's enormous. Yeah. And a lot of people don't travel. Some kids in the city, I work in Washington, D.C., they don't go outside of their block. Right. So their, their scope of the world, their social reality is the stuff that happened on that block. So that's why Cliff and I often talk about taking kids to the African-American History Museum in D.C. We talk about just getting kids to ball games. I, I mean, it's just so much, so many things that I try to do to show kids that there's a bigger world out there because what I, I'm trying to be what I needed when I was going through those struggles. That's why I work so hard to change lives for young people. Yeah, that, the, the example of it can be done, right? I, I forget whatever, I, it was some sort of study, I won't be able to remember the exact numbers, but the essence was you're like 250 times more likely to do something if you've seen someone in front of you do it. Absolutely. Like I'll jump off a cliff if I've seen one person survive it. I'm 250 times times more likely to do it or whatever the number is. But it was so staggering. And it's so easy to forget, especially in a rural place like this with like limited job markets. You don't hear about a lot of opportunities, ways to earn money, pursue your passions and make a living like you do in a city because we are so small. Absolutely. And I I think that's important for kids to, to recognize. But if you don't go there... Even hearing about it, even reading about it, it's not the same as seeing and experiencing it. And that's why I try to make myself as visible as possible. I don't live in Sussex now, but I try to make myself as visible as possible at Sussex. Uh, a few years ago before COVID, I was going back to Cape and Lopen, working in D.C., going to Cape every Tuesday to mentor two kids, two or three kids, every Tuesday driving, because I felt it important enough to, for them to see people who wanted to came from Cape and with my background to see um, you, you can achieve it. You can do it. I had I did a lecture for him before talking about um, overcoming stereotypes and labels. I'm um, just to under, let them understand that just because data and you hear the media and everyone say that you can't make it or can't do it, you have to stay singly pinpointed, focused, and weigh your options because you can. Were you? Are you actually now okay with the failure? failing or holding the kid back because that's kind of a big it seemed like it was beneficial for you to the point of (laughs) it got school got a little more you were more serious about the consequences of school but at the same time it sucked for you because you felt this way till 10th grade and that teacher actually spent some time and helped you so i'm curious about where if you could if you made the policy (laughs) would you bring back like have more kids fail for not doing work i I would i would See, it's easy to say let them fail for not doing work, right? But that they come. What comes behind that, I think, is missing. If you fail, kid, for not doing work, then you have to you have to be willing to roll your sleeves up and find out how do you make it better the next time. 
Because if you held me back and no progress happens, you just delayed and you crushed my spirit, to be honest with you. Because you held me back, no one was willing to help me put the work in. Because let's face it, you have parents, some parents simply don't know how to help their children. Some parents don't want to help their children. And some parents simply have to work, especially during this this uh, 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 virtual yeah. classroom session here. Um, oh, if killer. you think about, right, if you don't, aren't willing to roll those sleeves up, not you per se, yeah, and put wraparound services around that kid to get them up to speed, and if and they don't get there, is it not a wasted year that serves only purpose of service to crush a kid's spirit? And, and I'm not, I don't believe in passing kids on just to pass them on. But there has to be a plan in place, like an IEP or something to say. Yeah, right. Hmm. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting. And I've really, man, the more people I talk to, I feel like America is missing out on developing this entire new wave of middle class where mm-hmm. a team of people could go to each grade, forget each school, go to each grade mm-hmm. or go to each classroom, right? You have a four classroom caseload, 100 kids. Mm-hmm. And when those kids are identified, your job is to provide counseling, academic support, and get them through. And you're going to have people who get educated, who are educated, who are certified, and are going to make a good living because they're passionate about giving back. And mm-hmm. and like I, I don't I don't hear about programs like that. I don't see the numbers small enough where a hundred people could get jobs like that in Sussex County to just elevate the bottom. Because now you're yeah. increasing your revenue of your tax base. I feel like it's just such a basic and simple thing that really could be done with all this money they're throwing around. <laughs> we have to get out of our own way as a society. We educate our children the same way they educated children back in the 50s. It's weird. Factories. You sit down, you you do this, right? But just think if you tapped into that kid's strengths and resources and go, you're a tactile learner versus a verbal learner. They're not concessions like that because now your classrooms are so large that you don't get that benefit. Yeah. So so we have to be willing to adjust our strategy to fit the kid instead of the kid adjusting to fit us. Yeah. Because we're all different. Right? Yeah, and it, it only comes from the only way I can the only way I can wrap my mind around coming close to a solution of how do we continue to challenge and give resources to those who are exceeding and supporting those who are not succeeding. If you have a range of readers and a child is struggling with phonics, mm-hmm. I don't want children who are fluent to have right. nothing to do and not be challenged just because the Absolutely. child who needs phonics gets 80% of my attention. Like that, that right. that's, that's not equitable or fair, right? So the only, how do you do that? It's a numbers what game, did, right? What we did, we, we, Cliff and I and a group, a committee, we, we went to, we got called because the community were, they were concerned about some of the things going on in the Cape and Lopez School District. So we went to a community meeting down in, in Lewis at um, Reverend Edwards Church, and they had a superintendent there, some school people, and and you could tell this contentious atmosphere, like the, the community against the school, the trust wasn't there. So we ended up putting a small group together to meet with the school board and on, on an ongoing basis. We met at HOB, we met at different schools. So we started putting stuff in place and bridging that gap. What came of that is we have more communication and more dialogue with they have more communication with the school and uh, the community. And what we what I found out when I was, was mentoring, the school ended up saying, Hey, we would love to have people from the community come in and mentor and help and all those things. 
but a lot of people don't do it because they're still fighting wounds or battling wounds about how they felt they were treated when they were in school. I'm, I'm speaking of people of color. Okay. So we're still trying to get people to volunteer and show up at schools because I believe that that could be some of the bridge that got between the community. So when a kid is at school in your class, let's say, right, and you know someone is coming in faithfully to mentor that kid, you can go, hey, this kid needs extra help on this. And that message will get back to the community and help. And the yeah. community can reach out and say, hey, you know what? Just say I, I use Miss Boar or someone. These people are retired educators. They're willing to help. Yeah. If it makes sense. But we have to, we have to, as a group of people, the school has to want people to come in and people have to want to come in. And I think you said the, the word I liked was faithfully because it yes. can't be once a month and then December hits and you're like, I'm a skip. And that, now it's right. January's too cold. Hey, Mal, I'll catch you in right. March. And now you really, yeah, I volunteer. Oh, how often do you go in? Um, 180 school days. I've been in four times. Like that, yeah. it doesn't help anybody. You know? Absolutely. It's almost like parenting if you're just an absentee parent. Yeah, because my, my goal really coming out of uh, high school when I went to the military and college, I wanted to be a Delaware State Trooper. Oh, okay. um, I really did. Um, I wanted to be a state trooper because every time uh, I had some, my family had some issues. Um, the police, when I, every time we dealt with the police, I remember being pulled over driving while black. And I'm like, you know what? I've always said we need to change the system from the inside. Right. You can sit back and point fingers or you can say, you know what? I'm going to roll my sleeves up and get involved. So I applied uh, a few times. I remember getting to the finals. The, the trooper was on. I think, hey man, I think you're in. Call me when you get in. Um, I go to Troop Four in Georgetown. The investigator comes in and slams like three or four stacks of paper, three pa pa pack of uh, paper on the on the table. Like bam, bam. Explain this. I'm like, what is that? You know, it's your father's record. That's your brother, two brothers' records. Uh, I said, well, if you find something with Lorenzo Hopkins' name on it, I'll explain that. I can't explain other adults. I, if, if you if I haven't been in trouble and I live grew up in that household, that should be a feather in my cap. Yeah. Long story short, I didn't get hired either time. Then I received a call from when I was in DC from DOJ saying, "Hey, the state police settled a lawsuit because the test was biased. However, you don't get any benefits of it because you passed the test." Right, which was deflating because I said, "Wait a minute." Am I not the person they should have hired if you passed the test? Yeah, right. So what I did was, I said, you know what, forget it. So I went to work for um, probation and parole here in Delaware. Well, actually, I went to work for juvenile services first at, at Stevenson House, then went to fair school to work. That has to be heartbreaking. Or is it? <laughs> yeah. Is it heartbreaking? I, I feel, man, once the kids are in the system, uh, from people yeah. I've spoken to, it's they're not a lost cause, but it can just feel like a lost cause. It, like you said earlier, it's different because kids can smell BS a mile away. If you're not authentic, they're not going to fool with you. One thing I always credit myself with was being authentic when I dealt with kids. I didn't let people get away with stuff. They knew I was strict. So when, when I left Stevenson, I went to Ferris. Left Ferris and went to probation and parole in Wilmington at 1601 Pine Street. So I was working the streets. I was on safe streets and all those things. Then with about 10 years in, um, I had some opportunities to go, go to the federal level, and, and I jumped on it. Um, took a pay cut initially when I had to go through the academy and all those things. But now here I am four times my salary in Delaware as, as a branch chief of a federal agency. And, 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 I, and I say that to say I, I think what happens is if people 
expand, expand their horizons and want to do something different, they have to go out there and try it. I think a lot of times kids are scared because they've been beat back so often. Um, I remember uh, before, not to get too personal, I remember um, I had a sibling in prison at Smyrna. And, and my mother was like, hey, we need to go and see so-and-so because they're having a graduation ceremony from some program. So I go in there and have all these inmates come in. And all these inmates said, wait a minute. Hey, I know you. They were from fair school. <laughs> like that, that, that's what you're saying right there, right? Like, that, right, like shit. that's the right. system. Great. You went through this school. You're supposed to be reformed. And here you are. And then they were telling my sibling, like, hey, man, your brother, he didn't take any stuff. But at least he was fair. We knew where I was coming from. And, and, I, and I left there feeling like, what could I have done differently or more? Because to see a young kid who I saw at Ferris School, had a Ferris School from the level five maximum to Moe's College Transitional, because at Ferris, I used to also try to get kids back into school because schools didn't want to touch legal kids. I mean, in Newcastle County, anywhere, you, we went all over the state. Myself and Laura and so, uh, Chester Montgomery would try to get kids back in school. And, 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 and schools treat them like a plague, like, oh, no, you can't come back here. Is that like a liability thing? Why do you think schools are apprehensive to bring them back in? I, I don't think schools have the structure to be able to provide that kind of oversight to, to that population. However, I think they should have tapped into community resources. The, and I ask, often ask schools, what, well, what do you expect this kid to do if they can't get an education? It's only a matter of time before they reoffend or go to prison or become a victim yeah. of a homicide. So that was difficult for me to swallow also because this kid did everything they could in Ferris to go to school and I had to fight the school to try to get them back into the classroom. And I took it personal because I know my struggles in school, early on in school. Yeah. Yeah, I, again, that's, to me, that is a numbers game, right? We, you either got to find the volunteers who have the passion or you yep. have to create the paid positions with competent people. And again, to me, that just screams of middle-class jobs. Yes, not trying, not trying to be a millionaire, trying to have salary, good benefits, do something I love and not be paycheck to paycheck like that. Yeah. And it, I don't know, man, the more people I speak to in life and then on this podcast in particular, the more I just see it, um, seems so simple. I got to get a politician on and get an answer as to like, why, how come we can give all this trillions of dollars to all these pharmaceutical companies and everyone else, but we can't just invest a couple million here and there to get people think about educated. this right we spent in 2019 we spent 182 billion dollars on police and corrections 100 million for law enforcement police 80 million for corrections is america any safer today than it was no it's no it's not right so could you imagine investing that kind of money into failed approaches Right, failed approaches. Why not try to invest some of that money on the front end? Yeah, like you said, to elite, like create positions in schools so to prevent Dude. uh dropout and all those. Kind of, think about it though. Well, no, well, well, I was raised, there's a couple sayings that uh, <laughs> my mom stuck with me. Number one was beggars can't be choosers, which really in my head put me in the position of like, don't ever be a beggar, you know, like if you got to right, go absolutely. and ask somebody for something, that kind of sucks, you got to get what you get. The other one um, that she had said that I, I thought was really good was an ounce of the prevention is worth of a pound of the cure. Pound of cure, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it, it like it, I'm looking at it and I'm I, 
It is. It's just such a waste of money. So the money gets spent there. Here's cynical me. The money gets spent there because lobbyists and somehow these are like for-profit prisons. It makes you feel good. That you wrote a check to say, hey, we got 48 more cops out on the street. It makes you feel good, even though it's a false sense of security. I work in law enforcement. I I, I meet with local people on the state level, police department, every day. I remember being in meetings as the only black man with the CIA, FBI, uh, DEA, you name it, Secret Service, on special projects. They look at me like like I'm a three-headed monster <laughs> because it's, it's, it's that rare to have someone at my level in the federal system or in law, law enforcement, period. But I'm glad I'm in the room because some of the things we talk about wouldn't be broached if it didn't come from a different or diverse perspective or di- diverse thought process. Um, when we're talking about spending money, Think about this. We can lock everyone up, but people need to understand 90 plus percent of people eventually come home. How they come home should be our concern. Mm. If they go in prison with a criminal mindset and already traumatized, right? Could you imagine going to prison and have to survive prison, which is a different mentality, and then come out with very little reentry services and all those kind of things? Think about it. So we wonder why we can't get a handle on recidivism. It's because we aren't preparing people to come out. I visit federal prisons all the time, right? Because I know I got inmates and gang members coming back to D.C. from all over the country. And I see some federal prisons that are private. I hate paying them all that money because even if the bed is not full, we got to pay them as if they were full. Yeah, to hold the bed for you, right? Yes. They have truck driving programs. They have thinking for a change. They have all these industry programs. But then when the person comes out, their criminal record prohibits them from getting a job. People don't want to hire them. Got to check that box. I was, um, who was, so I had two thoughts on that. Number one, it reminds me a lot of why addicts relapse. Cause when you get out of rehab, you come back to the same environment as well. And you're around the same people and the same conversations that put you into that original situation. So I think the release or the re-entry into the community is a huge thing that there should be. Oh, I, I, I doubt that there are, I, I wouldn't even want to know the numbers. If you were like a just you get out on probation, like what what's a actually let me ask you what like what is the typical caseload? Do you know probation wise? It, it depends. Um, it, state of Delaware when I left years ago, they were they were pretty high. Now across the country, they are shrinking. However, the people they are dealing with are extremely more have more needs. Let me let me say that. God. Um, I remember an addict that I spoke to years ago, um, just doing some street outreach in D.C., and, and and the lady was a heroin addict. This is the federal system now. So in the federal system, if you violate with a technical violation, which means relapse or anything, you lose all of your street time. You go to jail, you get back, you start parole all over again, or supervised release all over again. Oh, wow. They since got done away with that. So I kept asking her, she hadn't committed a new crime or anything, right? And since 19, early 18, 1975, 80 or something, she says, I said, what is going on? Why do you, what is going on? What happened? And she broke down crying. I'm like, well, what's going on? She said, you're the first person who asked me why I used instead of telling me I shouldn't use. You're preaching at him versus listening. Yes. And what she said, I was molested as a kid growing up into every relationship I had. And if I, if that's and I said, oh, so if that's not treated, as mm-hmm. soon as that trigger trauma triggers, you go to your vice, which is heroin. It's that association. Think about that. This lady been to women's federal prison, jails, 
for most of our life and we never reached the core of what happened. We kept throwing money at it, money at the surface because substance abuse is a symptom of something. Yeah. Typically, like shame. They're, they're shameful yes. of something and when they use, the shame cycle just continues to snowball because now they feel guilty. They don't have, to have that unconditional love. They don't have the support to break out of it. It's... it's I, uh, I've spoken to several addicts as well, and it's it's um when you can get them to just speak to you when they're off clairvoyant and they're speaking to you, you realize, man, you're just fucking hurt. You're Absolutely. just hurt. You, you Absolutely. A lot of times you don't even really want to. Like you don't, you don't even enjoy getting high anymore because it's never as good. You you you've maxed yep. out. You're chasing. You're chasing <laughs> yeah. and chasing. Um, and, and that's why I work so hard, man. I. Yes, I'm in law enforcement, and I do believe, I want you to hear that you're listening to people to hear this. I do believe corrects prison is good for some people. We have some people out there that need to be in prison. However, we must reform our prisons because if people, I just told you, 90 plus percent of people get out, how they come out. That's what I wanted to say. Is the difference. So I we have to I provide services. I'm sorry, I mean to um, over speak here. No, you're good. But I, I had a lady on this was um, she was the first one to talk to me about ban the box, which I had not heard of. So right. she was in Canada. Long story short, basically a boyfriend, uh, an associate who kind of was a boyfriend, got her into bringing two keys from like St. Croix back to Canada. She gets mm. busted. Federal charges in Canada, not allowed to travel into the U.S. So she's starting this business, this popcorn business. And the goal of her right. business is to hire felons to give them jobs for re-entry skills, entrepreneurial. She, mm -hmm. A condition of her probation is you cannot associate with felons. felons. And she's like, I, you say I you want people to, to get here. <laughs> I have the means. I've created a brand in business. I'm successful. I now want to go to jails and hone this. And I, I can't because I got six more months. So in six months and a day, I can be around all the felons I want. But in six months, we'll let them struggle and I'll have to hire someone which takes their position. It was so weird to me yeah. that, that that conundrum. But it was – and she's a whatever, early, late, maybe late 20s, little skinny blonde lady. Mm. You know, like a beautiful woman and you're like, you don't have these problems, right? But she does. And like when I heard it, I'm like how many other people have these options limited by some weird regulations – that don't allow them some to pursue antiquated, Some antiquated policy and regulations. Because yeah. there's no science. See, I'm, a, I'm a guy who believes in the science, evidence-based. Yeah. There's no science to say that giving people a job or helping people on their feet makes you commit crimes. <laughs> now, if she go back to the same people, who, if she go back to the same guys who had her traffic heroin, that's different. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, right? Like if she couldn't have a business or make the money or I'm thinking of the people she's trying to help. It just, it blew my mind because again, I like simple and I, I've never tried to get a policy enacted. I imagine it's complicated because words really matter. You got a bunch of lawyers or whatever. But like it just seems so simple. The whole check a box because you're a convicted felon. Of You're, you're going to go to the bottom of every list, right? It's like, yep. hey, you are a failure. If I'm a teacher and I know you failed seventh grade, I immediately am like, oh. He's, oh, he's I know right? he's in my class. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's in my class. Yeah. No, no. no and, and you're like, why are we putting these bias on – People right. in people's minds who are kind of like gatekeepers. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, now, now in a nutshell, you understand why I work so hard. Even though it's kind of crazy because 
my day job is still really to help people and try to build communities on a, on a federal level. Um, I work with people coming out of prison, people on community supervision. But if, if I don't, my goal is to stop people from entering the system altogether, young people. Because it's hell to get out and navigate this the world. And if you already have biases against you, yeah, drug addict, sometimes skin color and all those things, it's hell getting out of the, getting out of the system, man. And, and I think in order for people to live productive lives, we have to give one the resources and we have to give them the space to fail forward like we do. Mm. Fail forward to me is learning, right? If I fail forward, I'm learning better to do it the next time. Not not use a hammer and say, uh-oh, uh-oh, you slipped up. We're going to put you back in the, to the penitentiary. And the penitentiary is going to offer no services at all. Or if they do, they're limited to a small group of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, so how come the policies still suck? <laughs> because it makes people feel comfortable. If people believe you're tough on crime, if people believe you're putting the bad guys away, even though data will show you it doesn't work. When I when I when I uh, lecture around the country, I, I get a scenario about in Montreal, Canada, during um, a certain period of time, they had fifty two hundred police officers. Chicago had three or four times that amount. Guess what was a safer city? Yeah, right, Montreal. Montreal, Canada. Well, like in London, the cops don't even carry guns, right? No, and there's no, like they no not, street right. violence. They have whistles and a stick. Right. And also what Canada has is different. They have universal health care that if people have trauma, they can get services for it and it's not stigmatized because guess what? Now, if if big mamas or mothers insurance doesn't cover me, I don't want it on my insurance. I don't want that here. So people don't get, especially those young kids I talked about, for example, if there's a shooting in neighborhoods, wouldn't you think, right, if, if we got... I've been to war before. When you, before you come back, they take you on this thing and they talk to you about, have you seen anything that makes you have nightmares or, or you need any help, right? Before you even come back stateside. A kid witnessed a shooting. The police come in, the coroner comes in, they take the body away, and nothing. No one comes in to pass out PTSD literature and say, mom or dad, if your boy or son or daughter is having nightmares, this is where you can get help at and all those kind of things. I remember being in graduate school. I told a, one, my, uh, one of my professors, the chief of police in New Jersey somewhere, and I said, why don't you guys have, or anyone have a mobile crisis unit to go out when this scene is safe and just pass out literature and provide services? I said, it only have to go to the police department if people don't trust. Get a contract with some other people yeah. because you're leaving a void in those communities. How, how many people coach or work at like a boys and girls club in their whatever teens, twenties, then thirties, forties, they're still connected. They know the kids almost like what you were saying about when you're in the jail and Oh my God, you were probation or I saw you in Ferris. Those yep. people I really feel are all over the country and want to give back. And they don't even, you're yep. right. They don't even have to be associated, man. You, no. if, if you turn like a state of emergency, you know, like I've always heard of power, power guys. If you work for Delmarva power, or whoever, Love state right. of emergencies because they get like triple pack. Absolutely. Why can't we have that crisis team? Hey, state of emergency, you got triple pay now for that two hours because you got to go somewhere at two in the morning. But make sure these people who saw this 
they they know how to continue not get their minds right because don't, you don't get it right that dying. Right, no, no. But we can set the plan in place. You know where the resources support. are if, in fact, you run into a difficult. Yeah. And that person could be that conduit that we talked about to the school saying, hey, yeah. you know, there's a shooting on this street and you had five kids live on this block. Dude, that's, that's in your that could be their nine to five. You're in the school nine to five, and then you just whatever. Back in the day, it'd be like a beeper goes off. Right now, it'd be your cell phone. Right, but like, Absolutely. you know, you get the call, and it's like, hey, man, this is what I signed up for. But I'm not doing it for free because I don't think I, I think it's just too draining because you're giving up your time, and I think time is one of the most valuable commodities you have. So you need to be rewarded, and we need to put a value on that. That's not a minimum wage job. I don't want a minimum wage low-skilled worker go into that scene. I want I want somebody to – I want people competing for that job. I want them to be yeah, like, yo, I, I can make $400 tonight and change lives? Yeah. I went to – I attended coaching training, uh, coaching and I do coaches and consulting for, for my personal business. And that's one thing I consider my expertise because I work with people in the system and young people. And, and, and I just don't think – schools are, always find a reason why they can't do it. Yeah. Dude, right. if you have an hour meeting with a school, the first 55 minutes is why we can't versus, why we can't. and then right. they leave five minutes for the solutions and like, Hey, what, what's the, so did we come up with a plan? No, no. We just know why no. it won't work. Okay. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's my goal really when I, when I retire, cause I, I got uh, 29 years and just about 30 years man, in, in, in law enforcement, uh, total, total time in law enforcement. And, and I'm ready when I retire to, to give back, I, I do it now, but I really want to hit the ground. I would love to open up empowerment centers where people are trying to get it back on their feet and teach them how to and coach them through and work with them on how to put the trauma behind them and how to move forward and how to overcome stigma and labels and help them set up businesses. Um, but that's going to take some work um, simply because we still believe the way to stop crime is to arrest our way out of it when we, we haven't proven been able to do that yet. I, I, I don't, it's so hard for me to understand why the we still believe that. Like, is, is it just because something as simple as like NRA lobbyists are connected with these politicians and they believe it's a base thing? Because when I, the people I talk to, maybe my circle's small, I feel like they're way more open minded. But again, my circle is primarily mental health people, teachers. So you're, what is that? Tend to right. be more compassionate, right? <clears throat> right. You know, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you one of my the, 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 one of my theories. This is why people get mad with me. I'm on several, a lot of committees. Um, the uh, Delaware Racial Justice Collaborative, uh, one of the co-leads. Um, I, Cliff and I do a lot of stuff. I people get mad with me, and I say, "Could you please stop saying black on black crime?" Because crime, crime, people commit crime based on people they live around, right? If you live in a white neighborhood, <laughs> white people kill white people. 80% of the time, the victim is, suspect is a, is a white person to kill another white person. Same thing Asian, same with anything else. When you say black on black crime, it it lets America off the hook and say that's their problem. When it starts becoming America's problem, like the mass shootings, right? Because you didn't yeah. hear mass shootings, even though mass shootings are happening in urban environments forever, right? Because yeah. mass shooting says three or four people in, um, shot at, in one sitting is a mass shooting. But it was always black on black crime, and because it was labeled that, a lot of people in America used it as a gavel to say, "Yeah, look at y'all, you need to fix yourself, fix yourself, fix yourself." Versus, "Oh shit, this is America's problem." Yeah. When it becomes America's problem, America stand up and do something about it. Not until 
we started seeing mass shootings all over the country. What what disturbed me, to be honest with you, when little babies got killed in Connecticut. And we, because I thought for sure if babies get killed in Connecticut, that we would make a move on something. And here we are 20 plus years later and nothing. So that's why we have to get to the point where we have to collectively see it as America's problem, right? Because, for example, black people were using opiates and opiate heroin in the cities for a long time in the 70s and all those things, and cocaine and stuff or later, and it was criminalized and people were put in prison. Not until it became in mainstream society like heroin, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a health crisis. It's been a health yeah. crisis. It's been a health crisis. Dude, it got to rural white America right. where people with money's kids were addicted to drug, addicted to, they, they would go to pain pill parties. They would have mm-hmm. Oxycontin parties with cocktails. I was reading yep. a book about this dope sick. And yep. then all of a sudden there's deaths, overdose deaths, and now everybody cares. Now now we need right. rehab everywhere. And now we're going to investigate big pharma. And it, it really was amazing because the, the groundswell was from cities and primarily yep. poor urban people who happen to be black. Absolutely. And we have to get to the point until we start to say it's America's problem, right? Because when it becomes America's problem, we put our heads together and we start working on solutions versus yeah. because what happens is people's whole retort always is, even person about I am a law enforcement person of twenty nine years. And I can tell you, law enforcement is a subculture of society. Like any other profession, if you have bigots in society, you got them in law enforcement. Yeah. If you got crooks in society, you got them in law enforcement. Yeah. The problem is, we have in law. When I say we, I'm talking my law enforcement hat now. We have to weed out those bad actors instead of union everybody rallying around those bad actors. All cops aren't bad. I understand that, right? But I ain't talking about the good ones. I'm talking about the bad ones. When all black people aren't criminals. Yeah. So stop treating. I get stopped. I go to D.C. on the back because I live in Camden, Delaware, but I worked in D.C. It's weird, I know, for the, for the last 20 plus years. I go to back roads through Maryland, and you don't know how many times I've been stopped for nothing, only to find out. No, I'm sorry. I, I, have to, I have to correct you. The reason you're stopped is because you have your windows tinted or because you <laughs> forgot to hit your left turn signal or maybe you have two air fresheners on your rearview mirror. That That's why. And then I get stopped, and, they, and, and I, I turn my light on, and... And I got my hands on the steering wheel, and they, oh, your arm, yeah, I'm federal law enforcement. You know, here's my badge on the, on the dashboard there. Oh, have a good day. Whoa, 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 what did you stop me for? Right. And they, oh, just have a good day. Never give me a good reason. Yeah. And I say that to say, what if I didn't have that badge? Y- yeah. I, I think we've at seen. At 4 o'clock in the morning, at 5, 7, 8 o'clock during the day. Think about it. Well, if you didn't have that badge, then maybe you putting your hands on that steering wheel would be seen as an aggressive, what do they call it? An aggressive motion or manner. And now right. that situation has been escalated. Right. And I, and I tell my wife and I, I we have a 22 year old son and, 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 and every time he leaves his house, man, I'm like, because I am law enforcement. I see what happens. Cause I get profiled and, and I'm always constantly talking to him about keeping your hand on, put your, put your license over the visor. Don't reach for anything until they tell you. So this is funny. He got his license. Not funny, but he got his license. He was leaving CR High School one day, and he rolled through a stop. You know, kids, they, they think yeah. they stopped, but they really they really didn't stop. Yeah, it's a yellow so, light stop. <laughs> right, right. So so a, a town cop stopped him in Camden. I said, well, he came home and gave me the ticket, and I said, well, what happened on the stop? How were you treated? 
He was, oh, I felt good. And, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't bad, you know. So I went and found the officer at the local precinct, and I thanked him. Mm. I thanked him. He said, but I, I said, I understand you gave him a ticket. However, you let him hold on to his humanity because that is our job as federal law enforcement people. And I want to tell you that that doesn't go unnoticed by me because he was a first-time driver. He got stopped. You made him feel comfortable. Um, I appreciate that. So yeah. the same way I go at bad cops, I go after good people. Now, I, I appreciate good, good law enforcement people. So we, but we can't pretend that everyone is good either. Um, we, we simply can't do that. Dude, that's what I... I really have a hard time wrapping my head around it. And I don't know if it's a union thing, a government worker thing. Um, was it, I always say his name wrong, Chavanaugh, one who was just convicted of George Floyd's murder? Kavanaugh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah, so, Cho- Chauvin, Chauvin. Yeah, so normally I say it, and I, and it, like, I say it as the Supreme Court justice that just got elected, Kavanaugh, right, right, right. and then I right. sound like an idiot. But when it came out, man, that he had, what, like 16, 13 previous complaints over years. I'm, I want to say almost over his entire career. Being You're a like, law for the person, if 13 or 16 came out, there's 16 or 13 that weren't reported that right? he had. Dude, right? That's like, a pattern of behavior. Now, I'm thinking to myself, if I was accused as a teacher, how many times could I be accused of mistreating a child officially? And, oh, maybe, you're gone. and maybe even physically touching a child the wrong way. Oh, how many, gone, how many of those? Uh, not, not in a sexual way, but just in a physical, aggressive way. Oh, you you getting arrested. I'm telling you now. So, I, I, don't, I don't understand how that works. Because when you're talking about picking out the bad apples, I feel like that's part of the system. I don't know if people are looking to have people go to jail for life for being jerks. But I think a fair no. expectation is, can you fire them? And you shouldn't be able to wear your badge if you can't control yourself yeah. with authority. That's mm-hmm. my concern. And I often get into debates with other law enforcement professionals like myself because they, they typically want to toe this blue line. Guys, if we ask communities to turn their bad apples, we have to do the same thing. We can't be hypocrites. I was watching a hearing today at work in my office uh, yesterday when the all four officers from the Capitol were, were talking. I happen to know uh, Fanon, you know, don't know him personally, but speaking and work work with him, did some stuff with him, and he was saying that he was shocked today that that the national FOP haven't contacted them at all, and haven't hasn't condemned the rhetoric saying that they that the cops were bad. They didn't, but the last summer, when the Black Lives Matter protest, you couldn't shut them up. His whole concern was why is that double standard so obvious? Hmm. And I'm in law enforcement because I want to change that narrative because we have to do better. And we need more people, diverse people in law enforcement. We really do. Yeah, that's kind of cr- crazy to me. And it, it you see it in sports where like I, the NFL goes through it all the time where it's like, how is whatever, 80% of our players are African-American and 10% of our coaches are, right? Like it's a disproportionate hmm. percentage. Right. And I'm very surprised when if you think of a stereotypical – African-American black kid, mm-hmm. you're ath- most of them really are athletic. They just have mm-hmm. natural athletic abilities because they just play all the time. And you would, work think, with, yep. you would think that you could cultivate that in some sort of program, some sort of mentorship program of let's get you badges and then let's get you educated and then let's get you climbing the ranks to decision makers and policy makers. 
And it, I, yeah. I, like, why do you think? That's an awesome weight, though, brother. That's an awesome weight because I, I, I'm often seeing, or sometimes from some people in my community, oh, you're a sellout. You work for X, Y, and Z, which doesn't bother me. You can say what you want about me. I know the pressure that I'm in in, in my position to try to dismantle anti-blackness in some of those spaces that if my voice wasn't in the room, your concerns wouldn't be heard. So, so we get it from both ends. I, I know some um, officers who from Newcastle County, from the state police that, that are, are of color. And we, and we often talk about, we kind of damn it if you do, damn it if you don't. We're fighting the good fight. You know, we treat people right, but we don't feel often supported by the union. And we don't often sometimes support it by people in our community because they see us as adversary versus foe. What do you mean not supported by the union? Oh, oh! There's no secret that 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 minority officers typically voices don't. For example, the the a lot of uh, uh, officers of color in a lot of this state and federal said no. Um, we don't believe in the rhetoric of our former president, right? But the national FOP still backed them, even though black officers were paying dues and all those kind of things. Uh... Um, black officers often are left on their own to fight problems within the department and but yet they go to they go to help other people so that that's part of the problem that how could you be left alone like i don't agree with a lot of the teachers union stuff i I pay dues but i look at it like fire insurance i'm like if if i screw up i I want nea in here and i want i want to be lawyered up for free because i've been putting down my whatever 26 dollars a paycheck but Mm -hmm. how could they like, how could the union kind of choose to not support? I, I think it's, it's I think it's a mentality that often when I when I see it, for example, I know some officers from New York and everywhere, and they and they tell me that it does exist. All of us talk about it. It does exist. It does exist about racial profiling and and, and discrimination and all those things. But you hear the FOPs, oh, it doesn't exist, and we're not racist. No, no, everyone is not. But if a system is set up systemically to say, oh, for example, stop and frisk. I had a professor who used to be the uh, FBI agent. He says, we save more lives than something. I said, ah, that's not true. Because the court found that for every black person you stop, you found a very minuscule amount of guns. You pretty much are stopping the same people over and over harassing people. But mentally, that doesn't register because they know that all they have to say is we're solving crimes that some people don't care what they do to them. And my concern is with the union is they typically often doesn't, don't try to hear our call or our cry or our, and our concerns. About particular policies or laws. How about policies, about law. Um, and, and don't think if you're an outsider, even when things happen, then you notice they don't fight for you as hard as they would someone else. I'm not a person who gets in trouble. I speak my mind. Um, I'm not in a union now. Uh, simply because I'm a, a executive in an executive leadership, so I always have paid my own liability insurance, have my own attorney, <laughs> because you can't stop people from suing you. But you can't, you just simply can't. Um, but I often try to. We, we're like I say, DRJC, the uh, Delaware Racial Justice Collaborative that um, I co-chair, and I spoke during the hearing to uh, get body cams that just just passed. I remember doing an op-ed and doing those things. And, and I sat back and thought that we had people in a room who were law enforcement and we looked like we were agreeing on things, 
only to find out that they sent letters themselves saying they didn't agree to things. And what I'm saying, and I'm law enforcement myself, that was disturbing because it shows me that you're really not negotiating in good faith. So the body cam thing is hard for me to wrap my mind around. And then this year with COVID, and I, I, I don't want to compare the situations that police officers are in versus situations that teachers are in. But it was mm-hmm. a big deal. I was very shocked that so many teachers were like animate. You are not streaming my lessons live. I am oh, not really? having the, oh, dude, it was huge. Like they were like, I will, I will find a way to become the remote teacher where I am on a Zoom. I am not just having a camera in my classroom to be nitpicked and judged every single moment of every single day. People taking a screenshot. I raise my voice. I make a bad decision. And now all of a sudden I'm fired because I told some kid, shut up. Yeah, it's a mistake. I could apologize. But now that you got a video of me telling a kid to shut up uh, or whatever, I'm done. <coughs> I'll, I'll, I'll never advance. The community will hate it. me. They'll think I'm playing favorite. There were all these different ways that they rationalized why they didn't want it streamed in. Me, I was like, fucking put a camera up, dude. That'd be awesome. Like, Well, think about it, right? But I, I, I say all that to get to the body cam to try to get some understanding because when I hear body cams and when I hear police officers saying, being resistant to it, that's where I think is like it's real easy to slow-mo nitpick decisions. But in the moment – there it's not as in the moment mistakes can happen that you can understand where if you then reflect on it, slow it down. It seems like the consequences can be huge for them. It it can be, but if you know what a reasonable officer goes through and you see it with your mind's eye going through that thing, you can see where someone overstepped. For example, the Philando Castile shooting in Minnesota, the black guy who was driving his kid around who had a, a concealed license permit, the officer plainly said, hey, hey, show me your, he said, you have, do you have a weapon? Yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a licensed gun owner. I have my concealed carry permit. Get me a permit. He reaches against permit and officer shoots him in front of his kid and his girl. That was the one that was streamed on Facebook and then the officer's wigging out. Well, this, oh, it was one officer who got, got oh, yes, that he got off, he, he got, didn't get charged or got found not guilty. My concern with that is just because you made a mistake don't mean you can't be held, shouldn't be held accountable because mistakes that cost people their lives. Yeah, no. And when I'm thinking, I know you're not saying that. I know you're not saying that. The extreme stuff for sure. Like, dude, if you've got a video of me punching or choke slamming a kid, yeah, get me out of the classroom. But the teacher's fear of the nitpick. So now I guess when I think of an officer and officer approaches your son, they approach me because I rolled through a stoplight and now I request body cam footage because I say they were they used aggressive slurs against me or something. And like how I, I, I guess that's why I'm wondering is, is the fear for officers or the resistance about being nitpicked on every little decision when they have to make so many decisions? Is that why the body cam resistance is there? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The research shows that 60 plus percent of, of law enforcement want body cameras. Oh yeah, and both society want body cameras because law enforcement, from my vein and from theirs, is it also protects me against false accusations or allegations. That's what I think. But then forty right? percent don't. Me. So sixty, there's forty percent still a big number to say we're resistant to it. Right. It's a and some people have nefarious reasons for not wanting it. That's why some people don't turn the camera on. That's why people turn the camera off. Um, 
my whole issue is this. For example, let's think. Let's go through the shooting in Philadelphia uh, when the guy had a mental health break, and the police came and he was chasing the guys around the car some months ago, about six months ago, before just before COVID. Uh, was and that like the fast saying, food? I'm sorry to cut you off, but was that the fast food parking lot where they started? I thought no, that was, it was in, Florida. in Philadelphia somewhere, and the guy was in a neighborhood, and his mom called because the guy was having, and I think he was trying to attack the mom or something. And, okay. And the police officers were backing up. Unfortunately, they ended up shooting and killing him. But when I looked at the video, what I felt was this: Philadelphia Police Department failed this guy, failed the officers, because the officers didn't have tasers or anything that elevated force, that force continuum. They had to go straight to their guns because everybody wasn't equipped with tasers. So it put them, and when I saw that, it put them in a bad light because I'm like, you failed them. They had no other choice. The guy was coming in with a knife. They had to shoot. But what if they had another less lethal means? So that made me, and it's a great point because you would think nowadays that would just be almost standard equipment on a But that's they don't don't have, police officers say we don't have money. Yeah, but, have, but you already said, what, $100 billion or something like this? Dude, Dewey Beach. $182 billion. Dude, Dewey Beach had how much military equipment just laying around? Yes. Right? I mean, like, dude, they had, they had like, they had 18 wheelers. Uh, it was insane what they had. Um, The taser thing reminds me of the video in the body camera. And I guess there was the female officer where a suspect gets in the car, tries to drive away. She says she mistakenly fires a live taser. round and she was going yeah. for the taser and immediately on the body cam footage, it's, I forget what it was, but it was like, fuck, I, I, that was my gun. That was my gun. Or you could like hear the remorse instantaneously. Yeah. But to see, me. my problem with that is this, right? My problem is this being, being a trained officer person who, who carried, carried a weapon and all those things, right? And carries one. Opposite sides. Opposite sides, <laughs> different color, yeah. different weight. And she's a Feel. field training officer. Yeah. I, I, that's... It's hard for me to fathom. How an experienced officer who puts the taser on the le- least dominant side, right? Yeah. If you're right-handed, you pull on your left side. You got to reach across and get it. It's yellow. Yeah. It feels different in weight. The hand is bigger in the handle versus your, yeah. your, your 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 strong side. I I don't know for sure, but to me, a, a veteran officer who's a field trained officer should be able to, in that situation that's not really life or death at the time should know what's a taser and a Gun. And she wasn't alone. No, there were a lot of. She had a lot of backup. I, I, I mean, like that would be a stronger case. Oh my God, you're alone, and you're feeling the threat. The, the suspect, the, the the man was trying to leave. Right, and if he left, right, you already know he got a warrant. You called his license in. Yeah, pick his ass up later. That's what I couldn't figure out, man. Like why, why, like are you just so aggro, so hyped in the moment that, or like you have so much pride that you can't take the L of this dude driving away and maybe giggling like i got away from the cops it's like dude i'll see you in like you're gonna six... get got i'll see you in a few minutes yeah right i'll see you in six home. hours man we'll track I your phone what, or whatever your license plate is we will we will get you right yeah um they had already patted him down so they knew he didn't have a actual firearm so my concern is those kind of things those kind of mistakes people have to be held accountable for because we are public servants People get offended, but I don't get offended because they have a right. People who pay my salary have a right to question my my, my policies, 
my methods and all. They, they do. They simply do for their citizens and taxpaying people of this, of this country. It's something to be said for that. I actually heard today, it was interesting. Um, I, I forget if it was a president or a governor. Some leadership, someone in a leadership position had said, an officer's number one job is to come home safe. And this person wanted to rearrange the quote to say, actually, they've signed up for their number one job to make sure that I get home safe because they're there to protect and serve, not themselves, but the community. They've kind of agreed to put their lives on the line to make sure and I'm safe. And the vast safe. majority of people do that, but I just wish we would hold those bad people accountable. We have to. Yeah. We can't remain silent yeah. in the face of bad. I'm not saying the union can't represent them. Yeah, because everybody has a right to due process. Yeah, even police. I don't care who you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we have to get to the point where we're holding people accountable. Um, I joined law enforcement because I felt the need to try to change it from the inside. I'm I'm always been a person, Sean, that I'm not gonna sit back and talk about it. I'm gonna get involved. I'm not gonna sit up talk about community violence, how bad it is, what they should do. My ass gonna be out there trying to do something about it, and that's why I do what I do in one of the most dangerous cities in this country. Um, we often focus on the shootings, but what about the successes that, that that community members have? Because we have people marching every day in Chicago, people marching every day in D.C., people put rolling their sleeves and putting programs in place, Sean, to make this world better, but they never get the credit. It's always, well, y'all don't care about black-on-black crime or, or crime, which I hate that, that word, and I told you why I hate it, because yeah. if you see it as a black problem or a white problem, that's their problem. It's not our problem. This is an America problem, America's problem. We have far too many young people well, being traumatized and murdered by guns. We I, have far too I really, if you, instead of black on black or race on race crime, if you even just said youth on youth, how yes. much more powerful would that be? Like, what, what person wants youth to suffer, right? Because it forces your ass to do something at that point. Yeah. It becomes, if it's their problem, they do something. But yeah. if, if it hits your heartstring, people are going to wonder why you aren't doing anything about it then. So I'm curious about this. If black on black crime is a little like, hey, that's them, that's separatist, right? Mm-hmm. But what about Black Lives Matter? Mm-hmm. Is that not because that that's the the common retort is what all lives matter. It's not Black Lives Matter. Like, and I I get the understanding of, hey, should we be separate if we're looking for equality? Should we be separating ourselves with the nomenclature, the tag of black? Should we just say all lives matter? Nope, because all lives, all lives don't matter until black lives matter. Let me let me ask you a question, right? If if if, if the fire department shows up at a house, right, and it's on fire, it's on blaze, they're gonna deal with that house, right? Because that house is the one going through trauma or on fire. The black community is going through trauma when it comes to unarmed people, unarmed men and women being killed. So when people say black lives matter, they're saying black lives matter too also because for centuries and for decades, we really haven't mattered. And it appears that people, for example, the stuff that happened at the Capitol on January 6th, no, you have politicians in D.C. right now trying to change the narrative that, oh, it was a tourist, a, a, any tourist day and, and, and people didn't have weapons and, and all that nonsense. When you have power, that kind of power, people backing you, the media can change the narrative when, when, it, when it fits whatever narrative. But when it comes to black people, it's always, for example, when a black person gets killed by the police, they always parade that person's criminal record out there 
Oh, we're just doing that because we want people to know. No, you're doing it because you want to poison the pool somehow to believe that person deserved what they got. His criminal record had nothing to do with him being shot in the back or with his hands up. So when people say Black Lives Matter, yes, the cry is, let me say this. Let me say this. I've never seen a time in my 51 years of life. And my mother and grandparents, I got a 90-plus-year-old grandmother, that when when people of color, black people, fought for equality in this country, that it didn't evoke some outrage by people who didn't want to see that. You had Colin Kaepernick kneeling. I'm a military veteran. I went to war and went to the Middle East and everywhere for his right to peacefully protest. They had a problem with people had a problem with that. But then when a small portion of people start rioting during the social justice of things, they had a problem with that. You don't get to uh, get uh, get on people and treat them badly and go tell them how they should protest or how, how they should feel about it. But then when January 6th came around, Sean, the same people who are saying Blue Lives Matter didn't give a shit about police because people out there beating them with Blue Lives Matter flags, tasing them, we had officers die, the whole nine. So when we say Black Lives Matter, or people say Black Lives Matter, they're saying Black Lives Matter also. Because let's face it, if a person can be gunned down and nobody sheds a tear, you have people defending Chauvin who killed George Floyd. How, what kind of human are you if someone kneels on someone's neck for nearly 10 minutes that you don't have a problem with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I... <laughs> Thinking back to the video, the only officers I felt compassion for, just because I'm somewhat familiar with like a military hierarchy, were the mm-hmm. trainees. And like, I believe two of the officers were there, what, within like six, 10 days or something, like some obscene short mm-hmm. amount of street time. And I'm like, those poor dudes are sitting there having to watch this person in a leadership position mm-hmm. make but this. You know you know what you're taught in the, in the academy and the military and everywhere else. I, when people are doing something wrong, you must you yeah, must intervene and you you because you can't follow unlawful orders. I was and about all those to things. say, yeah, yeah you're right. allowed to disobey an unlawful order, right? Yes, yes. And I'm not saying they should get as harsh as or, as, as he got because I I do believe the police department allowed this guy to uh, 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 elevate to a training officer and all that when you knew what his history was. Yeah, that right. That that's still. But I'm glad, Sean, we're having this conversation, uh, buddy, because I think it's necessary for people to dialogue. Not We don't always have to agree, but I think to at least dialogue and see what perspective and why people say certain things. And again, I say it because I, I am a law enforcement person. I'm not anti-law enforcement. People say that, but I'm not. I made a great life and career and provided for my family doing what I've done for the next almost 30 years. Right. But I also know that we're not above reproach. Law enforcement is a subculture society and we must treat it as such. Yeah, nobody should be above reproach. That's, right, that's right, like, right? Like, right. He, the president shouldn't be above reproach. Supreme Court justices shouldn't be above reproach. Right. Like, everybody should be able to be held, held accountable. It's kind of what the country was founded, like one of the core principles of like yeah. checks and balances. You learn that stuff Absolutely. fifth grade. I'm, I'm curious about what would be some like accountable... So let's take the officer who says she went for the taser fired with, with the weapon. What would be like g- good is such a terrible way to say it, but appropriate accountability for an officer like that, knowing that like well, the penal system is a terrible place for people to go. 
but we need to have consequences for you being in these positions that lead to terrible results. Short of short of the law being changed, that person should be charged with with the crime that fits the act that they did. And, and, and I believe she was charged with criminal negligence, homicide, or manslaughter, something like that, which doesn't require intent. It accident. It was an accident, but it was reckless. Gotcha. And to me, that was reckless. Now, what happens to her based on uh, pre-sentence investigation with no criminal history and all that? That's up to the court. The problem is most people in law enforcement profession, they either don't get charged because, let's be honest, uh, prosecutors and police work closely together. And yeah. sometimes they're friends. And, or when they go to trial, we had an incident right here in Dover. We had an officer on tape. Kick the, the guy was a felon. He could have been an asshole. Fine. But the guy was getting down on all fours, had both hands and basically on the floor. The officer kicked him in his jaw and broke his jaw. A jury found him not guilty. Dover PD had to pay him, pay him out X amount of dollars. He ended up going to Greensboro or Goldsboro, Maryland, right across the border, getting a job. Within months, he was terminated because an African-American kid was killed at an incident he went to that had a mental health episode and the guy died. Stop. That's when we talk about reforms. We're talking about stopping bad officers from going from police department to police department Dude, without I, people knowing. I log on to WBOC... <laughs> Delaware Online, Delaware Today, CNN, Drudge Report. Like, dude, I, I take, uh, I, I don't know how much I read. I don't know how intelligent or well-versed I am on it. But I peruse the internet just about every day. Mm -hmm. Those sites and others. And I had no idea. No yeah. idea about what you just told me. Yeah, this guy was a Dover police officer. He got, you can look it up. Uh, oh, no, I, I'm not saying that you're, you're yeah, misspeaking. But when he went to Maryland. And he saw this guy who was a mental episode, and they went to the house because he, unless he grabbed some other some kid, and they went to the house. Something happened. The same officer was involved. What happened was the chief at the time ended up coming to a Delaware police department to work. They charged that officer, that that chief, of of, of something like falsifying records or something. He lied to the Maryland accreditation people to get this guy in, and didn't tell him about his bad conduct in Dover. That would almost be like so. Yeah, like it kind of. It's funny how conversations can, can go full circle. When we were talking back about the felons, maybe not having to disclose that they are felons or can, convicts. I guess it doesn't have to be a, um, uh -huh. a felon. But like with officers, you almost want to. You, you don't want to ban the box. You want to make the box big. Like get because a bigger they, box. They, they were in a position of trust, right? When you violate a position of trust, yeah. should you hold it again? Yeah. And that's the question. So this guy ended up being fired. The former chief ended up getting charged, you know, because the Maryland accreditation people say he never disclosed or he falsified, didn't tell us that this officer came with this much baggage wow. or with this baggage. Yeah. So, um, again, I tell people in our community all the time, you can't want bad for other people when we want to reform the system for ourselves. So I will, you'll never hear me say overcharge a police officer. You know, I don't want people in the community overcharged when it's not justified or not warranted, right? I don't want them oversentenced to because... Uh, out of revenge. I want them sentenced to what's appropriate for the same way people in the community could Based on the law. Because they're not yes, above the law, the law, though they're enforcing right. it. So yeah, then it would right. just be up to the judge's discretion of whatever that sentence range is that the evidence Absolutely. meets the criteria. Let's try to consider previous records. This is the first time you've done Absolutely. this versus what you brought up, which I thought was a great breakdown. Field training officer. Wait. 
color, location. That that's a lot of things to overlook for me to go all the way on a minimum if I can. Well, because keep we do we have a reasonable officer. It's a reasonable officer standard, right? A reasonable officer who's in their position with so many years on the force, a field training officer, where they know the difference between a taser and a firearm. Yeah, right. That's the that, that's that's when judges and people start talking about that. The reasonable officer uh, standard. Would a reasonable officer, with her like experience, right? Yeah. And her position, should they would they know or would they have done the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think yeah, there is no one answer because every case. That's the whole reason you have a trial. Every case is so specific, and there's so right. many variables. You really gotta take the time to parse it out. Yeah, I, I love my profession. But I love giving back to the community, Sean. I, 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 I'm really a Sussex County boy who, who believes that if I can make it and if I can just pour into one or two kids, because you have to understand, when you change one person's life, you change a generation of people's lives. If you get that attic clean, that addict's children's children is going to reap the benefit of a better life. No different than you say you want a better life for your daughter. I want one for my son. The struggle I had coming up, my son will never have to face or experience. Sometimes I wish that I wish him he struggled a little more because he would appreciate what he's got, what he's got. Right. And I think he does cause he works, he works hard, but, but, but the fact that the crime I, for years, I've been saying Wilmington has become Philadelphia. Wilm- Dover is going to become Wilmington and it's happening, right? Dover every other week. What do you see a shooting or something? Yeah. And Sussex, unfortunately, end up going to, and we're trying to prevent, Cliff and I are trying to, we're working on something now um, for, for next spring. And we're working on this uh, this, this, this um, healing and, and like a unity day where it can launch into a summer of peace. Our goal is to not have one homicide the summer of 2022. What do you think? In Sussex County. Theoretically, why do you think people gravitate towards this gun violence? Is it a, ego machismo pride thing of the youth do they just not have enough other stuff going on in their life where it's like tomorrow matters and it's all about this moment um it, it could be but i'm telling you now we, we, we these people these young people are in urban battlefields right it's almost like a veteran coming from war when a veteran comes to war we expect the va to be there for them to provide them with the services they need we always talk about child, child soldiers in Cameroon and all those things, right? And how bad it is. We have child soldiers here right in America who don't get treated for trauma. By the time they're 13, when post-traumatic stress disorder kick in, the fight or flight kick in, I feel, we may say, why is he a gun at 13? Well, I feel I need one because everything I see is I need to protect myself. So until we address the year long of, years and years of decades of untreated trauma, we're going to keep having that problem. And then you will compound that with post-incarceration syndrome because you have to become a different person in prison to survive, or you don't. Until we address those things, I always put people in three categories, right? You have the legacy shooters. The legacy shooter is, my family was in that game. I'm going to be the shooter. That's what we do. I'm the enforcer. Yeah. Right? And it can be in like any field. Like yeah. our family's all doctors, our family's all police right, officers, right. our family's it all ballers. Killers. Like, all killers. Yes, 100%. Right? All killers. So what we have to do with those people, we have to stop the bleeding at those people off the street. Into an institution with, with the services and reforms that we talked about. Can Not I, saying they will ever get out, but we have to. Can I pause you for a moment there just yes, to sir. explore that a little bit? 
I, I, my initial gut reaction is they're not trying to go get help. They ain't trying to go talk to somebody for their feelings. They, they don't want counseling. If you're talking about these tough individuals, soldiers, not now I'm going to get all mushy. It, that's where I'm like, how do you actually have that happen? Remember I just talked about the drug addict who, and the substance abuse was, I mean, the, the person who was raped and the substance abuse is a symptom. Violence is a symptom of other stuff too. That toughness, that ego. Right. This, this called survival, right? Yeah. We don't see it because that's not what we have to do, right? Based on where we live and, and our influence and all those things. But if you can crack through that and people trust you, again, I, I before COVID, I was going to prisons all the time, sitting down talking to young people who were in for life or who are about to get out after doing 15 or 20 years. And I tell them the sharks are still circling. They're waiting for you to come out because they're going to try to push you. They're going to remember who you were 15 years ago when you went to jail. And you have to make a decision. Do I want that or is this the life I want? Those tough conversations have to, have to be had. Because we can't say, on one hand, a, a, a drug addict is a symptom of trauma, but hell with the shooter because... it's a good point. If you looked at... I, I really think there has been a shift culturally that you look at drug addicts as like... A, drug addiction, not addicts. Drug addiction as like a mental health crisis more so than a choice. But we can mm -hmm. still look at violence. Like, oh, you chose to hit him. You chose to shoot him. You chose to fight. And but, if you could But based on what though? Yeah, that no, that's what I'm saying, right? So right. maybe it's not really a choice because it's just like I'm the addicts are not choosing to go do those drugs. It's a symptom of that environment and it's part of their coping. Why can't violent outbursts be a, a, a signal of coping? That's why we do restorative justice now. Even when when I go to visit prisons, we have killers go meet with the victims parents and family and all that to understand how they that what they did impacted um it, it's the therapeutic yeah for some victims families because they trying to understand what happened why how? i know a guy right now was on our podcast some years ago um eddie ellis in dc he went to prison he was 16 did a shooting at 15 went to in dc people go to federal prison if they get so many years they, they, they get shipped all over the country at 60 years old he went to adult prison he served about 15 to 20 years he, he's out but he's doing some great work in the community when he got out he he talked about not knowing how to test a bus when he went cell phones were different and all those things so what i'm saying is we have to provide service in some sense of redemption or shot at redemption because eventually they're going to either survive and live a pro-social life in prison who if not they, they're going to be a danger to correction officers and everybody else in prison how that made me think how important is feeling forgiven. Like, I, I, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who's murdered someone else. And I really do wonder the weight of that guilt, whether it's accidental or you cool down years, decades later, but then knowing as you get older, you take a life, the ripple effect and consequences of that person's child, that person's mother, father, family, friends, they all got affected. And I really wonder how much, if you've had any experience with how much the guilt keeps people almost like in a bondage or in, in a it, situation. It does. It does unless they're sociopaths. Sociopaths don't <laughs> give a shit. Right. Those are the people that I'm concerned about. That sociopathic behavior that I don't have any emotion. Yeah. I don't give a shit. I don't care what happened to you. I don't care about going to jail. 
that's a small percentage of the people. Right. However, you do have people in prison that once they sit back and reflect, they own their time. Okay, I, I did something. I did it wrong. And I've seen grown men during that connection with the victims actually break down and cry and like, not because they got caught. Yeah. Because of the impact of the weight that I took your son from you. Mm. And and I know people with relationships still now with their kids killers in prison, not not sexual or nothing, but relationships to say, I hope you do better. How are you doing? And all those things, because they believe that they have to forgive to heal themselves. And I, most parents just want to heal. Why in the world did you choose my baby or my kid? And the reason I'm in this business and work hard in the community, Sean, to be honest with you, I have a 22-year-old black son. I don't want him killed by a police officer or a person look like him. Yeah. I simply don't. I think that's why I became a teacher. Because I thought of my daughter and I'm like, I, I want to make sure her environment is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's not like a hubris thing, but I think it's what you had said, be the change you want. I know my school experience wasn't the best. I feel like I wasn't pushed, held accountable, lived up to my expectation, kind of got pushed through because I was intelligent enough. And I'm like, damn that, man. I want to find those kids that got potential. But like, dude, you you, know, you should not have a C. Like what? A absolutely. 71? That is not, a, that's not good enough for you. Yeah, right. Dude, absolutely. Quit, quit acting like you're stupid, man. Stop. You know, and, and like. The good thing about it, Sean, you went in, like me, I went in, I believe I went into it for the right reason, like you did, right? Yeah. You went because you want to make a difference. You got some people go for a paycheck. Yeah. Summer's off. I mean, I, I take summer's off. Don't, don't I get me wrong. Every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> every day of the week, Sean. Every day. I wish I get the summer's off. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I think that's, I don't, but it, I, I I've said it three, four times now. I feel like there are so many people and it's just that when you hear about a shrinking middle class, like that's the lost middle class, man, just empowering people to be educated and be change agents within their communities um, would be amazing. Powerful. would be amazing. Powerful. It'd be like Peace Corps coming in, but yes. you're not like going to Nicaragua or El Salvador. You're doing it at home. You're, you're, you're doing it at home. You're right here. You're right here. Why, why are we sending you everywhere across the earth? How come we're not here? How come we're not in Laurel? Right? How come you're not in some, whatever the section is of Baltimore, you know, that mm-hmm. needs it? Why? Why, why yep. are we sending those Sean, you work in the school system, and you said earlier, we spend more time when I try to pitch stuff like this in school system, tell me why it can't be done, and yeah. why we can't, and it won't work, and all that. Yeah. Sometimes we have to roll up our sleeve and change what we do if what we do isn't working. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I love the story about... Um, the, a murderer crying because I think I, I think of that person being released and the optimism that would fill their heart and then I also think of God forbid they're in that situation again where they're whatever's feeling out of control the fact that they've had that moment of personal connection and viewing the consequence you would hope mm-hmm. would help whatever that trigger is that makes them want to respond violently that's now almost been calmed because you you see the consequences and you can play out what's going to happen. Yes. And I see, I, I've actually seen guys dedicate their lives to saving young people, making sure it doesn't happen. I'm talking about mentoring young people in prison. Even they they won't get out. They understand that young people will get out. And, and they're some of the best people in prison, model inmates, because that one, that weight is off their shoulders. And two, how do you keep people from doing that? And they are our biggest allies. Um, right now in DC, we have what we call credible messengers. Um, there are people who were formerly incarcerated in trouble, and they are employed um, 
to assist us as mediators in the community, send places that we can't go because we don't have that credibility. Yeah. Um, I think that's a valuable resource. Um, we train them, we send them out there, it gives them a paycheck, get them some job skills, and it allows them to atone for some of the things to the community that they tore up, that they caused chaos in. And, and you forget sometimes, and I'm noticing this <clears throat> as I get older, like some of the dudes that I've seen be convicted or make some bad choices or some tough guys, like, I was like, dude, I remember you from sixth grade, man. We used to play kickball all the time. Yep. You know, like communities have those kind of people in them all over. Whereas like, dude, you, the teacher story, you telling the teacher yep. story in algebra, there's probably a <clears> hundred, <throat> 200 people that have mm-hmm. had that same exact teacher story that you then connect with, relate to, and you can be the conduit to affect <laughs> right. change. I think positions like that are amazing positions. Absolutely, man. Um, like that's why I do what I do. That's why I'm so busy in the community. My wife often asks me, "How do you do what you do?" I remember coming, from, leaving from DC to work, going to Lewis to the church in Lewis right behind the hospital, Reverend Everett's church, going to meetings, and then coming home and eating dinner and saying, "Hey, good night to my son." Um, <laughs> <clears throat> um, it, it sounds crazy now. The older I get, I know I can't keep that pace up. Yeah. But I, my goal is to create the next leaders for the, our communities because if not, we're getting old. I'm, I'm getting old. I mean, yeah, I'm getting old. Let me get some water real quick. Yeah, no, absolutely. <coughs> Excuse I, me. I, I'd like to hear a little more, and forgive me for messing the name up if I do, the Delaware Racial Justice Collaborative. Okay, yeah, I wasn't going to get the collaborative part. Thank you for saving me. <laughs> um, talk to me a little bit about how that formed, vision, mission, anything about it. Well, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the United Way, but Michelle Taylor is a um, the leader of the United Way of Delaware and, and Southern Jersey. <clears throat> and they had this plan to bring um, community people together, resources and businesses and all those things to address um, racial inequality. Um, and it's just not impactful for people of color. It also, when, when you are more diverse than you understand it, it makes all of us better people. So that we also have a group that Cliff is part of that he helped co-lead, and they deal with school stuff like like restorative justice, um, education. He was part of the bill that um, that uh, brought history, uh, African American history, to, to schools like like and things of that nature. Uh, so okay. we do that right. He, that bill was passed by the governor. Also, Cliff was Cliff was uh, a co-lead on one of those committees. I'm on the criminal justice committee, a co-lead because of my my profession and, and what I did. Yeah. Um, thinking that we can make some inroads because the partnerships and the commonalities and speaking with law enforcement. Um, for the most part, the people we work with <clears throat> are good people. I'm talking about law enforcement officers that they are really committed to people from the state police, people from chiefs from different towns, and all those things. Um, Sussex, uh, all the way from Sussex to Wilmington. And what we do, we trying to find common ground. How do we get the reforms that a community is calling for? Can I ask and, you to be a little specific on that? Because I, I hear these words like reform, okay. systematic injustice. And then like sometimes you're like, I, I don't know how to spot. Like I couldn't identify it if it sat okay. on my face. <laughs> so what would the, be? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. The reforms we're talking about is criminal justice reform. We're talking about stuff like the body cam, because everyone doesn't have a body cam. We're talking about a, um, a uniform use of, for- use of force metrics, right? That if, if in fact, Seville is different than Wilmington, we have to find a way so 
the community can understand what does it when people say you support a continuum, what does that mean and what does it look like? We want it to look consistent throughout the state, which means if, if departments don't have the resources to get tasers, um, anything they need, the less lethal force stuff, that they get it because we want to be able to tell people and educate the community. This is this is why it's also had to escalate to this level of uh, of, of, of violence so to stop the violence. How much training goes into or how much thought? I'm, I know there's been conversation <clears throat> and some people make fun of it about the have a counselor ride along with a cop to try to de-escalate a situation thing. But I'm wondering like if officers like whatever their Tuesday shift, you work a 40 hour a week, hours 35 to 40, are you in a classroom learning counseling or de-escalation techniques? I'm just curious, instead of the violence like tasers and force continuum, are there plans in place or policies to focus on the de-escalation of situations? Most of the, the police officers and departments in this in this country are very well trained and very well funded. So they do get implicit bias, but you're going to have those people who don't really give a shit about that. Gotcha. The problem is so when you break already. trust and community, you don't, when we don't hold them, those people accountable. Okay. We have the guy like Shilvin who has 16, 18, whatever that were on record, but probably 20 more that, yeah. that wasn't that the department still saw fit to put him as a training officer for young officers. That's problematic. Um, when we talk about reforms, uh, we talked about a database where the community can know who are those officers getting all the complaints and cause the most problems. Now we get pushback from that because that requires some uh, adjustment to the law enforcement bill of rights. Because which provide. Okay. No, no. I was just gonna, in my head. I just pictured Yelp mm -hmm. reviews. You know, like everything gets five star reviews now. You know, so your son gets pulled right. over by the mm -hmm. cop. As soon as the cop leaves, he hops on his phone and he's like, five out of five stars. Felt great. Right. Made me feel comfortable. Explained what mm -hmm. I did wrong. Treated me like a person. Able to have a conversation. I was able to ask questions. Thank you. That 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 could be. That's part of it, but it also lists, like I said the complaints that an officer had, because what happens now is the uh, law for the bill of rights is that you can't even talk to the officer until they get a union representative. Like you and I, if we get arrested, they're going to start questioning you right away. They don't give you arrested uh, or anything. Um, also when, if an officer is sued, right, the department picks up the tab, but they typically seal the outcome, the amount and all that from the taxpayers. Taxpayers saying, if I'm going to pay that money, for example, I don't know if you saw in the paper, Dewey Beach the other day uh, had an article in the paper where they're raising their liability insurance level because of all the exact false complaints. And two days late yesterday, I read about this officer who's a rogue officer that had all these complaints and punched <laughs> the guy in the face and, and all those things. Oh, so I see why you want to raise your. But again, is that fair for Dewey Beach taxpayers to pay a premium? Yeah, because you're not getting $3 million more of liability insurance without your actual monthly payment or however they pay it going right. up. Well, how does that department go up? They're either going to write more tickets for dis drunken disorderly conduct <laughs> or, right. or they're going to take taxpayer dollars yes. to pay this this victim or several victims a couple hundred. They already settled not long ago, they said, for uh, about uh, three or 400000 for some other victim. And now they got this guy suing them because they're saying he punched a guy in the face on the gurney. You, you, I guess you read it in the paper. But but <clears throat> what, what happens, typically happens, that stuff is sealed. So the citizens saying they have a right to know where where that money is going and who they're, who they're spending it on. And if this officer has 10 complaints versus zero complaints. Law enforcement is saying it's a personnel issue. 
uh, almost like anything. a medical. So like you can't you can't ask me, which is funny because like medically now they are saying you have to. Some federal aid buildings are like you have to be vaccinated to work. The NFL, you mm-hmm. have to be vaccinated. But before it was, you can't know my medical history. Right. So in the same you vein, you can't know my personnel record. Right. You can't know my personnel record. I can't go to your school just to say, "Give me Sean O'Grady's information." They're like, "What? Yeah. Why do you need to know that?" So, so that's what the law enforcement pushback is. But I, I contest if we say, like I believe that the vast majority of law enforcement people are good. Why not let those bad officers get exposed? And is that a law or is that a yeah. negotiated contract between the officers and the state as employees? It, it, it is actually a law. You have to change Delaware code. Gotcha. Because some of that stuff is in Delaware code. But but again, it, it, lawmakers sometimes have to have courage. Because I don't I just don't believe that anybody in power is willing to give up power or give up something they have without a fight. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying scrap it because I, I do believe there needs to be protection for law enforcement people. I'll be, pro- but guess what? The the when you're talking about law enforcement bill of rights and and, and, and um, other rights that state employees get, because you have a right to privacy too. If you're doing stuff in your in your capacity as a teacher, that's ethical and all those things, and someone sues you, you have a right to certain protections, right? It doesn't mean people aren't going to sue you. You should have those same yeah. rights, and they do. But at the, the same time. Is, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I shouldn't have cut you. No, you're good. No, you're good. No, you're right. No, I was just going to add to your point of we've been told and taught Freedom of Information Act. They they can grab every single email you got. So if mm-hmm. you're upset at a kid, again, me being the terrible teacher, something streaming happens, I choke slam the kid, and then mm-hmm. I email another teacher making fun of me choke slamming Jonathan because mm-hmm. he got it coming to him. Jonathan sues. Every email with the keyword Jonathan in it is now mine. There is no expectation for privacy in that manner. And that's where I'm confused with, you would think if there's formal complaints, that would be under a Freedom of Information Act since you're a public servant. Yeah, but it's like pulling teeth to get that stuff for most law enforcement agencies. It, 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 get, it gets buried most of the time. And, that, and that's the concern that a lot of citizens have. And, and, and I still say we're public servants, so we have to give up certain expectations of privacy. Because we are public service and we, we survive on a taxpayer dollar. I'm not talking about you shouldn't be giving people address, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But I have a right to know if you have a right to know if Lorenzo Hopkins had been charged of 20 complaints. Well, what if the complaints aren't found to be true? That's fine. I don't need those then. But I do need the ones that you settled. Yeah. Right? I need the ones that he was disciplined on. I would think that would be a decent negotiate. Like, Anybody can get charged. I'm, I'm sure there, there's websites for where people can go on and rate teachers and kids go home and have a bad <laughs> right. day, right? Like that stuff shouldn't be in my permanent record. But no, if my principal, not. if I'm in a meeting with the principal and all of a sudden I have to take some racial sensitivity training or some gender bias training, right? Then I'm like, oh, all right, let's just make a little note. And if someone requests, Sean has had this sort of training because now almost like you were talking about that field officer, if Sean does that again, there's one or two reasons. Either our training is jacked up and our training needs to be better or Sean is jacked up and maybe Sean right, needs to right. not be in that right position. But either right. way, you can remedy or get closer to a remedy for the situation. Right. And also on the DRJC, we talk about the um, the wealth gap because you have like wealth creation, a wealth creation committee where you have businesses and people talking about how do we narrow the wealth gap? We're talking about making america whole 
with everyone where everyone is not, we talk about equity. We're not talking about equality, right? Because you give me a box, look over a fence, and I'm shortening you. If both of us got one box, I still can't see. What makes it equitable is both of us can see. Even if I need two boxes, if that makes sense. So, yeah. so we, we talk about stuff like that. How do you create wealth? What, what, what are some of the barriers of, like Sussex County, you we know that there's not jobs paying a whole lot of money in Sussex, right? How do we bring industry to Sussex County? How do we get people the training they need to be able to garner some of those wages? Yeah, see that, so this is interesting to me because I was thinking about this the other day, um, dealing with the traffic that's just terrible around here everywhere. Yeah, it's horrible. Dude, man, I, <laughs> dude, I will drive an extra 15 minutes out of my way just so I don't get caught in traffic. Like I, being caught in traffic would be shorter. I just can't stand it. So I take the long way just to have the wind blowing. But I was thinking about affordable housing. And I like there's one in um, Lewis that had just gotten past the constructions occurring now right down the road from Cape where it's like right. you have to meet an income requirement. And I'm not talking about it doesn't seem like it's going to be one of those like Savannah West or East where it's like low income housing. But it's housing right. designed for people with lower incomes. I feel like there's a little bit of a difference in there. Mm-hmm. Because I think they actually own the home and then they have to stay in the home. So you get a little bit of that ownership. I, right. I don't know how right. to feel about that. <clears throat> I don't know I, like if I like it or if I don't. Because at one time, I, like I believe in markets, but then I feel bad for being a capitalist. Right? I, you shouldn't. I, I think it's part, it's part, of, it's part of it. Um, but, but you, I have seen – I hear people all the time criticizing people for being wealthy. You will never hear me say that. Right? <laughs> but, but we also have to understand we – we have, when we tell people to pull this up about our bootstraps, we have to give them the opportunity to pull this up about a boot. What if they don't have any boots? Yeah, uh, or, or what if they live on Earth and it's fucking impossible <clears throat> to do because of gravity? Like no one's ever done right, that in right, the history of mankind. Right, it's, right, it's the stupidest right. analogy exactly. in the world. Exactly. I hate that. I hate exactly. That analogy. So, so, and another thing we, we did when we were working at Cape was <clears throat> we were trying to increase minority hires because I believe that Kids need to see, like me, need to see kids like me. They need to see teachers like me. Yeah. I'm not saying other people can't do it, right? So one thing we were told by the administration was, well, people can't afford to live here, so they don't want to come here. That's true. So how do you make housing affordable for them to be able to come here? Because I know some homegrown teachers. Then they said they couldn't find it because people weren't applying. But we found a list of people who were Cape graduates that were getting teacher of the year in other, other districts. J.D. Mall was one of them. He's come back to Cape. You got people, a Duffy lady in Milford. So we were saying there are people out there. We can either can make excuses or we can say, you know what, let's see what we can find. So we had Cliff and them start working with DSU about their, well, these people saying, well, their teaching program is going downhill. Okay, well, let's meet with the president and then the people, the, the, the chair of those, they're saying, look, we've got to get your standards up because we would like to pull qualified people to our district. And I understand it's, it's a problem throughout all over the country. It's almost like police work, right? Yeah. It's hard to get people of color to go into education, especially men. Yeah, why do you think you that know? is? Um, one, I believe monetarily, it's not something you can do because teachers can make good money once you get advanced degrees and been there a while. However, yeah. it's also, remember that I talked about that stigma that if I had a bad experience at school, why in the hell would I go back to that school and teach? Because I don't like those people. Yeah. And I've heard that too before. Like, I'm not going. I said, yeah, but you could be the difference, though. You could be the person to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So that's the rallying cry that we try to, to make. And we try to get 
this uh, administration to go to schools throughout, I'm talking University of Delaware, to Dell State, to wherever, to pull in qualified people. I know people who are extremely qualified who would love to come to Cape, but they can't afford to live there. They have to drive outside a distance. Yeah, so then my reply to that would be, if we've got the benefits you want, and you you, you live in Delaware, you go, you go to D.C., right? Drive. I'm sorry, yeah. What? why are you entitled to a 10-minute car ride to work? Maybe it's going to yeah. take you 40 minutes. But like, And that's the weird balance between the market dictating the action. Because part of me, too, thinks with this um, affordable housing, I'm like, well, you know what? Let the market turn into we don't have any service workers. We don't have any outlet workers. We don't have any construction workers who want to hold a stop-start sign so now jobs can't get done. Then what will happen is these homes don't get built. Or then what will happen is those wages will have to increase in yep. order to attract people. And then they'll have more money to continue buying. So in my head, that's how it plays out. And I look at affordable housing as almost like what you were talking about with um, crime, where it feels good because we say we're doing it. We're tough on crime. Guess what else we do? We provide affordable housing. And I'm like, aren't you just kind of like, not panhandling is not the right word, but like, why do I need you to afford to provide me affordable housing? I just want opportunities to make money. To make an honest, a decent living. Yeah, so right. So I can buy, buy the house. Yeah. But absence of that, I think people are saying, for example, in D.C., we're going through uh, gentrification. Uh, so all, so that's why crime is raising in certain neighborhoods. So what they're doing is they're pushing people from up, up, up at northeast, <laughs> northwest, down to, down to southeast. Okay. Right? So people who used to live all over the city, so now people are going to Maryland and all those things. So people can't even afford to live in D.C. because, one, it, it, you, you have to have a decent job and decent education to get it. People who know D.C. and were from D.C. can't afford to live there. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm just saying that when people talk about needing affordable housing, they want the, the city to be reflective, I guess. And, and, and my thing was, my retort, I guess, would be, if we can give people the training and affordable and good paying jobs to be able to afford that stuff, then we won't have to make such concessions. That's because when I hear affordable housing and I saw that thing <clears throat> go up in Lewis, all I'm thinking about is how many backdoor deals did that developer get that some cornfield somewhere is now going to get a density change or they or got. It may rent. not do it though. Say again. We've seen that too, that people put it in and they didn't offer, they didn't follow through on the affordable housing. They did it to get whatever stuff they get from the town, the government, the Yeah, right, the grant. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. And then, like, (laughs) what's the recourse, right? Like, you got the cops go arrest them? No, they're too influential. You know, so it's it's that... that, I see that, and when you're talking about the wealth gap, I'm, I'm happy that it seems like your focus is more not on the, let me provide you things that are kind of nice. It's like, no, man, let me provide you opportunities and ways to make more money. Absolutely. To, to instead of, hey man, go ahead and keep making thirty grand a year because here's an affordable house. Enjoy that. Like to me, that, nope. that that's nonsensical because you're you're right. you're trapping people. Now you have to stay at that income level to stay in that house. And I, because if heard, you make more, guess what happens? Yeah, you got you have to go because you're in. Then you'll be able to income requirements. Yeah. So so my goal and, and I believe our goal has always been to try to get people a living wage. Yeah. Um, because right now, you know as well as I know, it ain't a place you can live. Remember, I told you that poultry plant that you can go and, and, and get a house for seven, seven some hour. Nah, man. It, I know some state jobs right now, and they talk about raising minimum wage that make nine dollars and something an hour, bro. 
well, state of Delaware jobs. If you want to start, start with state employees. Shouldn't have to go and get welfare. To, paraprofessionals. <laughs> paraprofessionals. I mean, you're making 20, 25 grand a year. You're in a school 180 days. You're trusted with the safety of children. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're watching kids. They get on the bus and they're, they're whole every day. And it's like, how come they couldn't afford a decent car payment and a mortgage? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, why do they have to be in debt? Why do they have to not have savings? That, that's something where you're trusting. I don't know. Like you would think, again, I, I believe in competitiveness. And I think if the wages go up, you're going to get more competitive. You're going to more people are going to want those jobs, which is going to make people have to be better to then get them. Yeah. And we will have to stop relying. Again, I'm a degreed person. We have to stop relying so much on that because we have skilled trades out there that people can make some really good money. Um, I know I know there are some technical schools like Polytech. If you're listening, you're listening, audience, if you're listening, Polytech, if your kid is under 24 years of age or so and make a certain low, low income, they have HVAC, they have plumbing, they have automotive, and that can be free to your kid if you're a state of Delaware person. A lot of people don't know that because I don't think Polytech does a good job of pushing. It's an Are adult school, adult night school. Under Absolutely. under twenty four, you can with a, get with a certain income. With a certain income, like low income, gotcha. Like you know, most kids aren't hardly working like that. Yeah, they can actually go and sign up for those programs. They have now they have warehousing through like the food bank where they teach them how to drive forklifts and yeah. get all those certifications. They have HVAC. They have heavy equipment operator. They have uh, uh, plant maintenance. Um, you name it. And, and, and I can tell you, some classes are full and others are not. I found that out because my son didn't want to go to college early on, so he tried some of those programs. And, 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 I, and I, even with my income, my wife's income, they covered it because they said he, they were going, he's 20, he was like 19 or 20, and they were going off his income because they said under, oh. uh, unemployed or underemployed. Yeah, right? So you don't even, it's not like almost like the FAFSA where your parents' income is held against nope. you trying to qualify nope. for things. Nope. How is that not, dude? Why do I see things in Delaware where people are like, "Don't vape on the side of cars"? Do you know what I'm saying? Like the sticker campaigns, yep. kiss yep. your kiss your landlord goodbye. Let's get you in debt with some borrow money. But I've not mm-hmm. seen one Delaware campaign advertising, "Hey, unemployed." Yes, yeah. shocked to be me also. That, that I found sense. out because my son found it, and, and I asked a lady who actually. Talked to my son. I said, "Why you guys don't put this out more?" That should be everywhere. Uh-oh. Why would you not want right. that? Dude, auto mechanics make forty, fifty dollars an hour. Truck drivers make eighty grand a year. And guess what? They also have they have internship programs where jobs already signed up, waiting for people to come to work at Hertrick or somewhere else. Yeah. Or they got people, HVAC people who are because they have actual technicians teaching the courses. People who work in the profession. I, I think it's one of the best things going. And I'm, and I'm always trying to push people. If you don't want to go to college, you don't want to do, go to get a trade. And if you do it early enough, it's going to be free. And you don't have to spend four years. You don't have to spend thousands yeah. of dollars. Um, but, but again, I will provide you information. I email it to you. But it's crazy that I didn't know it until my son. I'm like, really? You offer that and no one knows it in Delaware? Yeah, that's, I see your face like you're shocked. Dude, that's <laughs> silly. That's I, I think of – so again, when I taught it, um, the west side of uh, Sussex County, which is Woodbridge – Mm-hmm. Much more impoverished, much more impoverished mm-hmm. than the Cape region, right? Mm-hmm. And how how hard kids got pushed into being college ready versus college or career. Like they act like mm-hmm. college and career isn't really a choice. It's all college. All those kids hated school because they just wanted to do stuff to make money. 
It's right. like, dude, I don't want to write an essay. I don't want to. I and don't want to answer. If they're hands 10. on, Sean, yeah, that I'm, could be good. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. We need that. Yep. We oh, need, they got L- LPN courses, yeah. RN courses. Yeah. Like we can get certification. If, 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 if you get the chance, go on Poly Adult High School and you'll see their adult education curriculum, and it will you'll sit there and like in your mouth. They have prices there, but then when you call them, they tell you the, the ins and outs. If you if you have your kid or somebody who's like uh, unemployed or underemployed or an adult, you can be 20, whatever yeah. you can go there for free. I wonder if, do you think that's exclusive? It probably isn't exclusive to Polytech. I bet you the same thing is in Sussex County. It or probably Sussex, Sussex County, County too. I'm and whatever the technical schools is. are in Wilmington. Yep. But, but I really wonder like how many across the country, how many community colleges have it's those sorts of programs because that's how they get funded. federal money. That's how they get state yep. money. It's state and federal funded. Yeah. That's how they can afford to pay, the, pay, pay actually waive your fees and pay. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. Think, think about that. I, I, I work in education <laughs> and I had zero idea. You would think that would be some sort of like beginning of the year training. Hey, put this in kids' ears just so they know. So they get to college up kids and you know you, you don't want to come to college, you said, but you know what? There's a program here at... Yeah, man. Do I think of little middle school knuckleheads who hate it yes. and they just want to make money and they talk. Dude, kids will tell you when they are 12 or 13, I'm a drop out at 16 when I can so I can go bus or I can go work and make some money. And if, and you're if like, you can keep them engaged and say, you know, if you graduate, we got this for you yes. here waiting for you when you graduate. Here's the path. So if you go on Polytech's website, you will see adult education and you will see. All the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually selling it short. All the stuff they have, I bet, as far as trades. Yeah, that, that, that is mind blowing to me. You're right. My jaw, my jaw wasn't. I was like, <laughs> I was a gasp. I'm like, that's just, and to me, it's like just the inefficiency of government that can frustrate you. And you're talking about closing the wealth gap. Yeah. They're talking. I'm talking about people who drive 18 wheelers, making six figures. I know a guy in my development. He owned, He left Dupont. A brother, he's younger than me, black, a black man, got one truck. Now he owns like owns like eight trucks. Got drivers for him, and he owns yeah. his own transportation company. He drives all over yeah. the country. But that's what happens with when you learn a trade is you do the apprenticeship, you start mm-hmm. understanding the ins and outs of businesses, and when you have that work ethic and natural curiosity, then you mature enough in your whatever thirties, thirty five, forty. You start thinking, how come I charge you eighty dollars an hour to come fix your heater? But mm-hmm. I only get paid twenty five an hour. How come I can't charge you sixty and be my own boss? Do you know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Like people start doing that, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But those are the happens. lessons. If you weren't talking about closing the wealth gap, we have to make those one those those uh, schools more attractive. Like like people doing that. Don't put them saying you're not a failure if you don't go to college. Yeah. I happened to go because at the time I came up, I knew I needed education. The field I want to be, I know I needed, even to say, please, I need at least 60 credits, but I had a bachelor's degree. Um, so I understood that. But kids today, if they want to do something with their hands and they're not really don't want to write essays and do that, they can go and get hands-on training at one of these technical schools, adult, adult evening or day. They offer them pretty much, and, and you can get a good trade. I'm talking HVAC people, they make a lot of money. Dude, all the trades are making crazy money now. I mean, I called a guy to fix something on my roof today. <laughs> I had a problem on, over my garage. He got up there. He said, I, I need this piece. I'm going to go to the, the place, uh, whatever, uh, the place and get it. He came back with an hour. He charged me $540. Yeah, man. Dude, I had. And a, that's one job today. One yeah. job in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's, it really is. 
plumbers on a freaking water heater in a house. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, I, I got to pay for the water heater, whatever it was like 800 bucks, $400 for labor. And you're like, Absolutely. dude, it took y'all an hour and a half. And Absolutely. 30 of those minutes were y'all kind of like on a smoke break or something, man. Yep. You know, like, did and, you have to round up? Couldn't you just cut and, it to one hour? And their, and their thought process is, sir, you either can have no water or yep. hot water or you can yeah. let it fix your hot water heater. Yeah, no, I, I think that's part, and again, it's funny, <laughs> conversations come full circle, but like when you talk about students being referred to special education or feeling like they're not successful or having this stigma with schools, imagine someone who <clears throat> felt empowered in a school because, dude, it's okay that like you're not great at, that you're not passionate about writing, so of course mm-hmm. you're average. You're an average writer. You got an 80. We can celebrate that because you understand the basics of writing. You can communicate your thoughts and mm-hmm. you're not excellent. You don't have a ton of style, but guess what? You don't want to have a ton of style, man. I'm not going to give you a hard time about having right. a ton of style because what does that do for either of us? Let me empower yep. you and what you're passionate about and not make you feel terrible about what you're kind of just being nice and compliant about doing. <laughs> what I found though, if you give a kid a reason to do something, for example, if this kid just said this kid was on the HVAC or anything, right? If they could apply that lesson to their career they wanted to do, they yeah. do much better in it because they see the reason in it. Yeah. Right? If, if you get a kid just teaching the basic principles of math, mm-hmm. when you add money to the equation, you see how kids light up like shit because everybody likes money. Oh, dude. I, I, I've been pushing. So if I had a magic <laughs> wand, math curriculum right. is nothing but stocks and gambling. Yeah. That's all. That's yeah. the only way I'm teaching math is Well, because stocks it gives the interest. It keeps interest. Think about it. It keeps interest. Right? Because if you look, if you teach it the old way, everyone's simply not going to get it. You're going to spend your time with that kid is falling by, and then you're really kids who got it. They're going to be like falling behind because like, oh well, I can't progress until this happens. Yeah, yeah. So man. you get people interested in stuff. I think we push that way. So when you're talking about closing the wealth gap and equity, those are the kind of opportunities I'm talking about. That there's no way a federal or state funded program shouldn't be out to the masses, and those classes should be full. Yeah, man. I mean, like, think about the unemployment. See, now I'm not getting pissed, but I'm getting like, I'm thinking of the billboards <clears throat> to mask up all up and down the state. And how mm-hmm. is that? How have I not seen one billboard for this? Because mm-hmm. clearly the state's spending money advertising on certain things. And yeah, I think it's piss poor marketing because I was kind of annoyed when, when I went there and met with a lady. I'm like, why did, why don't more people know about this? Well, we put a lot there. No, you really don't. If I'm telling you, right, as, as a person yeah. that live in this area that I didn't know. And so my son reached out and found it his, himself. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. What is this? Yeah, no, dude, a, a billboard. Like, Delaware is not that big. We got like five main roads. <laughs> right, put it on Route 1, you're going to see it. <laughs> Route so you, yeah, man. Like it's, Route it's, 1 in South, Route 1 in North, Kent, and 1 in North. That's yeah, it. And, it, it, and word of mouth will spread all of a sudden. It, it's You're right, the marketing thing. So that wh- why do you think that doesn't happen? How come there's not a decision maker in a meeting being like, you know, we need to put up billboards, or hey, our numbers aren't that great. Let's step up. Why is the adjustment not being made? It makes no sense to me, especially if you want to continue to get federal and state funds. It appears to me that you want that class full. Right. If you know there's a deficit or a drain in the middle class and, and, and the technical skills, you see it all over the papers, right? You see, we need workers. We need um, people who know HVAC. We need truck drivers. I, I think truck drivers are giving big bonuses. I can't fathom in my head 
what benefit would it be not to post something like that unless you simply don't want the classes full? So, and that benefits nobody. Well, or it benefits the people in power because they feel like they get votes. And this is where my cynicalness goes. They feel like they get votes because they provide your housing. I've provided you affordable housing. So it's a motion. And, I don't care if you follow through or not. Yeah, like, like that's where my mind goes. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I, I can't. What would be the incentive to not do something to make that class full? How is there not a quarterly report where it's like, wow, we're at thirty percent capacity? Hey, hey, Sean, you're in. Sean, you're the department chair of this. Why are your class is at thirty percent? Right, because my son went into automotive, and I know he was on a, a wait list. Now that they don't have a wait list anymore, which leads me to believe it's not that full. Yeah, right. Like there should so, be some. That, that, that to me is like a Monday morning meeting. And guess what? Job placement for them is higher than someone coming out of college because they already have employers invested in doing internships and they hire they hire people who do well so so they pretty much almost guarantee you a job because you're working with the people who need the help yeah so they can and if they can get a new person coming in i can pay entry salary i'm gonna cheat you stuff it's a win-win yeah yeah see that's where i I hear things like that and again it's hard i I grew up i grew up poor um grew up in a trailer Mm -hmm. park near harbison um but Middle class white male, probably upper middle class white male at this point, educated. Mm-hmm. But I hear mm-hmm. stories like that, and that's where I start to associate the terms like systematic racism. And I don't know if it's racist, but it's like it's mm-hmm. not just. Maybe that would be the better thing. It doesn't say just, right? Because I I, I can't prove that it's, it's targeted racism. towards black people, right? Like it's not right. Yeah, I can't. But but I just I just don't. It doesn't. If you say. We have an unemployment rate here and people are unemployed or underemployed. Yeah. It appears to me, if you want to get anyone, black, white, purple, green, or whoever, yeah. off a system, right, you provide them those services and outlets and, hey, you can go here and get some yeah. training. And again, so that's where the next conclusion would be the system then is not incentivized to put themselves out of jobs. Because whoever's right. in charge of that system of low-income housing, now in their caseload drops from 40 applications a week to two – because everybody's now at Polytech earning, feeling good about themselves, being empowered. They won't get those, they won't get those easements and all those yeah. things because easier to get easement if you say, I'm going to attach something to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's where my mind goes. And I guess that would be the systematic injustice that, I don't know, man, Delaware is so small. And again, not all of our listeners are in Delaware, but like, I feel like that happens on commu- on like levels everywhere there are towns that probably have something like that there are counties right that would have mm-hmm. programs like that that aren't being advertised man. And, and that's problematic because you as educators should know that stuff you know what i mean that someone should be saying hey hey sean this is what we got here right push this me i should have known i live in a community i live literally five minutes or ten minutes from them yeah. and i didn't know it until my son says dad i want to because we always say hey look when he was younger, you got to have a plan. I don't care what that plan is, but yeah. you have had the plan. He said, well, I tried Dell Tech for a while, he said, but I'm also trying simultaneously. I'm going to try this Polytech. Like, what, what are you talking about, Polytech? <laughs> but they got an adult high school and they have that, that, that. I'm like, what? So I didn't believe it. So I went there to check it out. And the lady was like, <laughs> oh, we don't really need you, sir, because we're going to use his income and not yours. So cause my wife and I said, we'll pay. No, no. If they're unemployed or underemployed, young people or up to 20 something, that we, yeah. that we, we, it, they come for free. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I, I, I just wonder how many other different programs are out there 
that are not getting taken advantage of, but are providing jobs and salaries for people. And that, that's where like that wealth gap <laughs> right. may, is maintained. And that's that. So you talk about like be the change. That's where I feel very in, impotent where I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I hear that problem and I immediately want to fix it. <laughs> and I'm like, how, how do you fix that? Unless you are a government employee or you do run for office or do something like that. Like, I, I don't know how to make my world a or, better place. Or you find, or you find where the resources are. And that's what I do as a, as a, as a, a, a master certified, um, the coach part is I don't tell you what to do, but I tell you where the resources are and talk you through what you want to do. Um, because once you educate people about it, it's up to them to go, okay, yeah. wow, I didn't know this existed. What are the hours? How do we get there? And we'll start processing that kind of stuff. Yeah. But there are ways out there, and I'm just shocked that more people don't know about it, especially when it will give people, after they graduate, a living wage. I don't know one HVAC person that doesn't make good money. I don't know one 18-wheeler driver who can't bring it don't, that bring it up, don't bring in a, a good living wage. Yeah, no. I don't know one plumber don't charge me out the nose. <laughs> <laughs> For some simple stuff. Then look at you like you were so stupid because you should be able to do this. <laughs> do stuff, but it comes to a point where I, I just don't feel like it because like, my frustration and my tolerance level of frustration just, <laughs> yeah. just don't. Wait a minute, I just it, rather pay you. Yes. Because what you can do in 30 minutes would take me two days and like eight trips to Lowe's. And, I'm and just a, not, lot of, a lot of cursing and, yeah. and kicking stuff yeah. and, you know, yeah. not being so pleasant. Yes. I've earned, I've earned the right through hard work to just <laughs> overspend on this moment. That's exactly what it so, is. So we get, and my goal really is Sean is connect people and my community work to connect people to those kind of opportunities. Yeah. To be quite frank with you, because if you empower people and they can make an honest living, when people sometimes hate when I, when people say at risk people, people, certain certain stuff put people more at risk than others. Right. Statistics show if you had a parent in jail, they increase your likelihood that you eventually go to jail. Not saying it happens. Yeah. But it does. Yeah, more likely. Right, you're more likely, right? So we have to find a way to navigate people away from those at-risk behaviors and situations by providing other outlets. There's very few really successful people, right, that, that care about what they do and love what they do, end up going to prison. Let's say swindle stuff and blue-collar and yeah. steel, white-collar crime and all that. But I'm talking about people who really have value and see value on what they do and in their life that they're less likely and we reduce the possibility and all my, all I can do is do things like that and that's why I do on communities like DRJC that's why Cliff and I do so much community work in Sussex and around the state um, because we believe in providing people the opportunity you know to, to change their life but we also have to be realistic and address some of those things that are for example I can get someone that my people can get someone a job in D.C., but when I leave Southeast to go to Northwest, if I know that my life's going to be in danger to get there, the job is only part of the battle. It's getting them there to survive. That's the other part. I feel comfortable enough to go there. Right. Yeah, I was thinking of Sussex just like making sure bus routes go year-round at multiple times. Absolutely. <laughs> like something as Absolutely. simple as that, putting money into that easy, kind though? of infrastructure. That's easy to do, though. You would think, right? You would think. All them buses? Yeah. You would think. <laughs> But like things like that is, um, I remember, man, this might have been, might have been 2021, working in restaurants, wor mm -hmm. worked with a young lady, caught a DUI, lived 15 miles 
And mm-hmm. 15 miles in Delaware back in that day, what, 20 years ago? Was horrible. Route 24, like, you, if you had a car, it's 15 minutes and you're at the beach, right? But if mm-hmm. not, if you don't have a car, you're on an island. You're desolate. Yes. And you you're, got woods you're, and you're in you're a cornfield. Yeah, you got woods to the left, cornfield to the right, deer, and then trash all on the ditches. Absolutely. Like, you got, you got no way to get to work, especially if you got to be there at 6. And maybe you could get one bus. Yeah. If, if you walked a couple miles and like, she was explaining this to me and I'm like, man, you're lying, dude. Stop. I'm like, there's no way there's not a ride here. I'm like, we got the dart bus. I see it at the beach all the time. And it's like, yeah, Sean, but it just is at the beach. That's it. It doesn't go right. out. And if I have to catch it, I have to go somewhere else. I get off so way away to try to get back yeah. home. Yeah. And stuff like that are the systems that I think of when I'm like, that's where we got to get better. That, Absolutely. That's where people have to care and p- legislators or whoever's on like finance committees need to have people in their ear about, Hey, you know, we got like an extra million dollars. How would you spend it? <laughs> collectively, we have to collectively demand stuff was right for all people yeah. and not just for the few. Yeah. And that's, that's the people who have to be in their ear. We have to be, that's why I'm on the DRJC and stuff. I get to go to politicians and say, we had some politicians on, when I did the present, uh, the speaking for the body cam, oh, we're against it. The, 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 the police are, you know, we don't think that's right. Yada, 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 yada. I'm like, look, we either talk about saying we want change and provide lip service, or we can roll our sleeves up, work like hell, and make it a reality. But it's enough to, time is up for excuses. Yeah. They end up passing it out of the house, send it to the Senate. But those are the kind of voices you're talking about in those ears, creating those things. And again, now you, now you have my wheels thinking, asking why aren't the, this polytech thing advertised more do they have the thing, same thing as sussex if we're talking about putting people out to work and you livable wage why aren't those things being advertised more hell yeah because let's think about we'll take your son for example um mm-hmm. what's better for delaware him to go four years to dell state and mm-hmm. have to take out a loan and now he owes 60 grand Exactly. Exactly. Or have him take a class, and now instead of him not even paying taxes for four years because he's in debt and being and educated, broke. within a year he's middle class and contributing to the state of Delaware. Like, wouldn't the state just want that? But when I say it and it sounds so easy, I'm like, I have to be missing something. There's something. I don't think we are. I don't think we are. I think we have to demand. <laughs> I think we. I think we have to make people do their job. I think we have to get be that collective voice. And that's why I believe in partnering with the DRJC and other places because I think our voices are louder collectively. Because we have people from corporate America. We have people from industry, uh, private, private sector business owners. We have uh, just young people in college. We have people with nonprofits. Everyone comes together to work for this common goal. It, 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 either it be the learning pods in school, either it be Whatever it is, we get together and we break up subcommittees and chairs and and really push that agenda and actually put legislative action in place and have people actually, policy writers, to present to politicians and policymakers. Does the DRJC, um, Mm -hmm. and I I suck Delaware Racial Justice Collaborative. Does it go as far as like the teachers union endorses Mm -hmm. candidates, right? Is Mm -hmm. that something that y'all try to do or it's more really we're not picking sides we're just trying to pick what's right and present information right we, we don't we I, i've never seen the drjc or 
myself pick sides. What we do is we try to push legislation that's best for what we believe for the people, um, which means we are that voice to go when legislation, because we have some politicians on actually that uh, the, the Criminal Justice Council has a person from Dover, the Delaware legislature actually chairing the, the, the big committee. And we give them proposals and then we present what we what we're asking for. The goal to have law enforcement together with community and school people together with everyone is that we can come as a unified front and go, this is what we want. So when they have those hearings, we get calls and say, hey, we need someone to present or speak at the hearing of why this is important and what our position is. We do that and we say what organization we're from. And we have 100, and 100 plus organizations and agencies as part of this collaborative. And I think that voice goes a long way when you start talking about, hey, this is a large portion of Delaware consistency saying we want this to happen. Yeah. 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 And so now I'm curious if people, if someone has an idea, say there's another dad like you out there that knows about this polytech thing and they're like, Lorenzo, man, you got to get two billboards on route one. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, do they just like Facebook message y'all or how can people who want to support the Delaware racial justice collaborative collaborative, how can they be a part of that? There, there, there is a Facebook uh, Facebook page, but we have our meetings and we can pass that information. Um, Michelle Taylor is a United Way. You'll see her on the United Way page. You can shoot her an email. And what we can do is send information, let them know when the meetings are, because we're always looking for people. We have people from organizations from the ACLU to law enforcement. You name it, we have people that represent every facet of Delaware society on that on the on, on that Delaware the collaborative. Okay, cool. I'm talking about people from Dupont, from you, you name it. They're from people who had their own businesses, uh, uh, journalists. We have everyone on there. People, students. Actually, we have some students who are doing their master's thesis, helping us put stuff, organize stuff, and actually put things in writing and tracking what bills we propose and what the status are and all those. Okay, things. yeah, to see the effectiveness, right? See yes. what's going in. Yeah, the the amount of perspectives. It's actually like what what you're. You're describing, it reminds me a little bit of the podcast where like my goal again is how many just different people can I get to listen to, to get gain perspectives on things that I had no idea about. And that's where we are. We believe, and, and, and again, I'm not speaking on behalf, but I can speak on because uh, I'm a co-chair of one of the committees, yeah. um, that we believe that as a collective, our voice is louder because what happens simply in Delaware, Sussex, is so, especially in Sussex, so far spread out. You may have this person doing this over here in Western Sussex, this person doing it in Eastern Sussex, but people really don't know what's going on around in, in, in Sussex as its entirety, right? Yeah. So if I happen to move, I got to try to figure out what's, what programs are over here. Our goal is really to bridge that gap and say these are the resources throughout Sussex. Yeah. And that's what our goal is. I mean, I, I volunteer to be on the Sussex Committee. I don't live in Sussex, but Sussex is where I was groomed, raised, brought up, and all those things. And I feel wholeheartedly and strong about wanting Sussex not to fall in the same vein as Wilmington. Not saying we're any better, but it hasn't reached that level yet. And I'm concerned that if we don't try to stop it and put interventions in place now, that it won't be long before it's knocking on our door more often than it is now. Yeah. it's It, it almost it reminds me of like mm-hmm. homeless problems that I hear about in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. you're like, how did this get out of control? How, how all of a sudden – there was one point, and I've read a book – Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if mm-hmm. you're familiar with him. But yep. The whole book was things can stop until a point, and when you reach that tipping point, it's over. Yep. And that's it's pretty neat that there's people out there, and I bet you there's people. I bet you there's groups like 
your group, the group you're a Absolutely. part of, all, all around. And it um, it's part of the cool thing of social media that Googling even would most likely be able to help people just find, oh, this group is a change agent. Let me be a part of it to try to help this legislation. Because you're right, man. Like Homelessness can get out of hand real quick. Gun violence can get out of hand real quick. At things escalate. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that tipping point. Yeah. And, but, but the good thing is about this collaborative. I know it says racial justice collaborative, but we embrace anybody. I don't care what ethnicity you are. I don't care. If you have ideas and want to make Delaware a better place, the collaborative has place for your voice. You know, because it's critically important that we have diverse of thoughts and we have had dialogue and people say, well, I don't know about this part of criminal justice. Well, let me ask you about this. Or I may ask someone else about something else. Yeah. You know, so, so that, and we meet together as sometimes as a big group, like the co-leads meet, then a big group lead meets. So we can say what the status is of certain legislation. Or we say, you know what? Um, Sussex is having this read to the kids at um, uh, Richard Allen School. Can we get volunteers going to help help read to the kids for some program? All of that stuff. We talk about all those things to try to bring resources to communities uh, that need them. Beautiful. And to people who need them. Oh, so, so Lorenzo, is there anything I should know? It's funny, man. It wasn't. It was a little bit of a getting to know you, but it was really more, I guess, about like getting to know <clears throat> ideas and philosophies, which I I enjoy just as much. Well, those if are you know my you. philosophy and ideas, you're, you're getting to know me because exactly. I, I believe a man is as he as he thinks, and, 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 and what I'm involved in is who I am. So if you yeah. look, talk about wanting to empower people, wanting to get people uh, 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 a living wage. That's who I am. That's the work that, that I trying to stop violence, um, uh, equity. That's who I'm about. So it is getting to know me because I'm telling you, I am an open book. I'm that person, like I said, I, 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 from humble beginnings, um, had every opportunity um, to go the wrong way. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else because I'm not. By the grace um, of God. <laughs> I made, and I made different choices. Um, yeah. I could have made wrong choices. Um, Military uh, is not a bad thing. I believe it It showed me that anything was possible. Um, I don't regret my almost 30 years in law enforcement. I, I love my profession. I love the people in it. Um, I love changing, helping people change their lives. Um, we have a lot of work to do because we have to find a way as a, as a country, as a state, and as a county to rectify dysfunction. We have to be able to dialogue. So can, can I, and um, I almost don't want to ask, but I want to ask because when you had said the equity. Ask. Yeah. What about the people? Because I've heard this and I don't know. I don't know how to answer it. Mm -hmm. When you had brought up, if you need two boxes to see over the fence and someone else needs one box. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. It's not fair, Lorenzo, that you get two boxes. We all should get the same amount of boxes. That's what we should do, right? Like when I hear that kind of retort to the trainings that people go mm -hmm. to, what should I be thinking? It, 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 the scenario I gave you about equity, right? Yeah, because that's common. You see it, that, it, that it, that's it, the... if I, if, it, Right, if I got one box and my view is still obscured by the fence and you got one, that's, that's not equal or equity. Yeah, we may have both have one box, right? But it's but fair. I don't have the view that you have. But it's is fair. It? It's fair because we it? both have the same thing. Is it? If I still can't see, 
Yeah. So that, is that still fair? That's where the difference is. Because what are you focused on, right? The, the vision, right? Like what 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 are redefining as fair? Because if we're talking about what you can see, it's definitely not fair, right? But we're talking about right. what we both have. Then I guess it would be fair because we both have one, right? You both have one, and that's why I'm trying to get people to see. People say, "Well, we all have the same 24 hours in a day," but if I have to step over dead bodies, worry about how I'm gonna get home, my 25 hours of of the day is spent working on survival, where yours could be um, working on progress, right? I have to survive where you where you, where you can focus on progress. Yeah, I almost wish that the box picture. The boxes would have like some of the boxes would have like scorpions in them <laughs> or like holes or one of the boxes is rickety. And it's like, yeah, man, you, you can get three of these boxes. Go ahead and have three of these rickety boxes and try to get my view. And like just to to make that picture a little more understandable, because that is the most common retort is, well, he didn't earn that box. You didn't work for that box. Why should you be given an extra box? I'm, See, and I, think I that's deserve another a box myth. just as much as you. Right. And I think that's another another myth that people always say, well, this person got it because they're a minority, right? Yeah. I've never been to a job that they hired a terribly qualified person, right? That person that you hired as a minority, I guarantee if you look at their credentials, they are the best of the best that got, got in there. Trust me. They're not saying it never happens. Yeah. But typically when I deal with it, it's like, wow, look at it. But look at this person's credentials. And with that box thing I'm talking about is, yes, one and one may seem fair until you're the person who can't see with the fence and you got the one. Yeah, right. And you need two. And all I'm saying is show some empathy and say, if I was in that person's position, I had one box and my view was a, a was a was a fence. Yeah. And this guy can see the ball game. Is that how do I feel about that? And all I'm asking you is to feel that empathy if you were in the other person's shoes. That if I, if the shoe was on the other foot and I saw the ass end of a fence instead of the view of the game, yeah. would that be fair or is it okay? Would that, if it's, if you can answer the question, is that's okay with me? I don't need to see the game, <laughs> then that's different. But if you're yeah. gonna say, hell, I need to see the game too, I, I will call you a hypocrite because it's not okay for me to get two boxes in the game, but it's okay for you to get them. Yeah, right. And I'll say if the shoe was on the other, if the, if you can say the shoe on the other foot and you would say something, if okay, fine, I got one box, I don't need to see the game. I, we have no beef. Yeah. But if you, if I got the view and you don't, and you say, well, I need two boxes, so I can see the game. Well, hold on, you just said it wasn't fair, but now that you need the boxes, yeah, it it reminds me. I think it's a poem. We read it in the Holocaust unit. Um, then they came mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Something like they came, they came for the communists and no one said mm -hmm. anything. They came for the Jews and no one said everything. They came yep. for the whites, no one said everything. Then they came for the blacks and mm -hmm. no one was there to say anything. And it's yep. almost that in reverse. If you just take the mindset of, wouldn't you want someone to help you get over a fence or watch a game? If or they had, the, right. if they had, if, the, you, if, if your answer is no, we good then. If yeah. you can do it one box and you had an ass of a fence in your face all day. I think you'll be a liar, but, yeah. but yeah, right. why go to a game and stand on the box that you see in a fence and, and, and you can't see the field? You will want to at least look up. Yes, it may take two boxes, but that's why I didn't say equality. I said equity. Equity is different than equality. Equality is one box each. Yeah. Equity is both of us getting the same view if it takes me two boxes.
yeah, it's more like it's not the present. It's almost like the consequence or the result of what you right. have. Equity, you'd be having the same stuff. Equality is you have the chance to get to the same place or view the same thing. Right. Right. You know, it's interesting the minority thing that you um about an unqualified black person getting hired just because they're black, right? Like I, I I don't know if that I've ever... had people say that to me. Yeah. But I... but and you look at my look at my credentials compared to some people who said that, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. But what it made me think about is especially when we talk about representation and we talk about the need for role models, like if I was bilingual and mm-hmm. you needed a second language in your school. You and I have the exact same resume, but my ability to speak a second language is my tipping point. Well, Okay, but, but that's what we need. No, that's what I'm saying. So, like, why can't – in my head, I've always thought, well, if we don't have any black dudes around or if we don't have any women around and two candidates are pretty equal, shouldn't we go with what we need? Like, hey, man, we got nothing but dudes teaching here. Let's Let's make sure we have some females to get the perspective. Hey, we it got only makes white sense to me, here. bro. And like, <laughs> couldn't it be seen as like a skill or a qualification? Absolutely. Right. Like that's that's what I don't understand. We do it all the time in law enforcement. If if, if I need a, a Spanish speaking officer, because for example, we have different districts of, the, of DC, like different sections. We have a highly populated Hispanic areas. If I need Hispanic speaking people, you better bet your ass I'm not gonna go without. Yeah. I have to pay thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to a contract interpreter if I can bring people on who speak Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. We I, pay people extra money to speak Spanish. We pay people extra money because they're Spanish speaking when we bring them on. Right? Yeah, because like culture is a is a skill when you're working with yeah. people. Yeah, and, and I understand that if not, I'm going to pay a, a interpreter service who's going to slow up the process, do process and all those things versus having a person who can speak Spanish speaking person. Absolutely. Now we do a test because some people come in and look like their name is Spanish, but they yeah, right. can't speak a lick of damn Spanish. <laughs> I've had that happen before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I would hope that people would think of like, so if you do the whole reverse discrimination, you just get a job because you're a minority. Now white people don't have the job. But if you think of who does the job serve and don't those children deserve to see like looking people people with their similar background like i i grew again i grew up in a little bit of trailer park i was on free and reduced lunch like i can associate with low ses students really well and i share Mm -hmm. those stories in interviews i don't know if that got me the job i bet you it helped because i can relate absolutely Absolutely. i can relate i dude i see these kids and i'm like no no no. i can advocate for them i can be a champion for them and, and, I, and I and I can relate to uh, I have a conversation about the struggle that hey look yeah you can do it I, I was able to do it come on let's yeah. talk about how we can navigate this thing yes and that's a skill and that that's where when I really would hope that society would be getting a little past mm-hmm. that and see the value in diversity versus seeing it as that reverse mm-hmm. discrimination well see and I say this discrimination is discrimination it's not reverse either you discriminate or you don't but 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 it's a good point again what i would like to say to people who say that again if the shoe was on the other foot and cake were full of all teachers of color and no white yeah. teachers would you be okay with it would you be okay with that or would you, you want wouldn't. them to say hey man you, 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 you i don't know if you got any caucasians on there right or <laughs> 
And if, 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 or would you say, you know what, we need to do that? And if the answer is yes, I would have a problem with that. You should have a problem with this. That's all I'm trying to get people to think. I'm trying to get yeah. people to think outside of their own comfort and emotional responses yeah. to things. If, in fact, if you take the time to pause, and if it re- was reversed, that Cape had more teachers of color and very few white teachers, would you not be saying, hey, where do I fit in? How yeah. do I get in? white kids need representation too. Yeah. Well, then that that would be it too. Right. You understand, right? If if that's your answer, then we should get together and go, how do we ensure that every kid has representation in that school? Yeah. Yeah, man. The the older I get, and I think you can hear it when you're growing up, because I remember, I forget whatever this lawsuit was in like the 90s where it might've been like college acceptance. That was a big deal where like maybe Mm -hmm. black kids were getting into like more schools and white kids were upset. They're like, you've taken my seat at Harvard. There's only a hundred seats. You know what's crazy about that, dad? You, you might have Sean, you may have had, let's say if you got five black kids in there, right? You didn't say about, you didn't even beat the 300 other white kids. (laughs) What I, what I was, (laughs) What I was more thinking is like, as a child, I saw it as like, it's just wrong to pick with race. But as I get older, or almost like any quality, but as I get older, I look at it more like, you almost need to pick a little bit with race if you want to actually be diverse and have different perspectives. And not just race, but gender, like everything that makes us different. Could you imagine if the baby girl that you love so dearly didn't see any women in the classroom? Yeah, right? No matter if she's black, white, yeah, Hispanic, could you imagine a girl... Never seen a female daughter, doctor. Never seen a female teacher from preschool all the way up through high school. A, a female anything. Think, oh yeah, like... Female nothing. Yeah. A there female are black coach. Kids, there are black kids who never had an African-American teacher from preschool to graduating high school. In 2021. Yeah. And, and I'm not quite saying fault. I'm just saying, yeah. should we not at least aspire to have that kid have that experience of, wow, wow. Again, I'm not talking politics, but that was the power to me of President Barack Obama's presidency because there was kids born in that era that, uh, that looked like me that said, oh, shit, I only know a black president. I don't. I didn't know any other from the time from when he came in. And I think that inspired him to say, you know what, I can be president. For years, I've been hearing I could be anything I wanted to be. Yeah. But what we had was white men. Yeah. Right? So all I'm saying is I'm not saying that we have to make concessions. I'm just saying we should aspire to in- being as inclusive as possible because I think representation matters. It matters to your daughter. It matters to my son. It matters to kids who come after your daughter, your kids' kids. Yeah. Well, and it also matters to me as a person to develop and create and empathy no. within me. Cause if all I'm doing is in an echo chamber of other 40 year old white males and we're, we have our views and that's all that gets sounded off on. Like, how do you get better? How do you have empathy? How do you learn to live with your neighbor and help people? Yeah, how how do you get other ideas? Guess what? Because we don't live on an island. We're not in a vacuum. Look, we have to get to the point where we, like you and I, 
we have to get to the point where we're having these difficult conversations without getting so offended. I don't mean racial conversations where people are being racist, but asking a question that someone doesn't understand. Okay, I understand, but isn't it fair if yeah. both of us got one box? We have to have those conversations with you and I, can we get so I can dialogue. Say, hey, from my perspective, this is what I'm talking about when yeah. I talk about equity. And you'll go, wait, you know what? Then when I say, oh, what if you had the one box? Yeah. Are you good? They couldn't see. Right. Yeah. Just That's the conversation that we have to have. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I don't know, it's part of doing the podcast, just giving me an excuse to have people on and talk. But it's something that, I don't know, like, unless you set aside time to do that, mm-hmm. it doesn't, at least in my world, doesn't happen just organically with a diverse group. And it's something I'm super grateful for. You have to seek the opportunity. You know why? Yeah. I had a I hate yard sales. I'm gonna tell you this, and I, then I leave you alone. <laughs> um, you can't hate a, yard sales and live in Sussex County. Oh, you don't live in. We Sussex had a County. community yard sale, right? <laughs> and, and my wife kept saying, "Honey, you know you don't." So we 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 got rid of our our gym stuff. We're getting a new Universal Smith machine and all that, and setting up a new weight room. And we sold that big stuff online, and we had a yard sale. And I said, "Well, I'm gonna go out there and sell this stuff." So an older gentleman came out of this big sailboat my wife had brought me some years ago for a, a competition for a work. And I was selling it, and a guy came up. He's an older white gentleman. And, and, and we just got dialogue, and his wife was working on the sailboat to sail, trying to get the things in. And, and we, we were talking, and he's like, more or less, where do you work? And I guess filling me out. And I said, well, I work, you know, I'm a chief in D.C. Oh, that's a tough – yeah, this day and age is a tough job. I said, well, not really. I said, um, it's, not, it's, it's a job. I mean, it's, it's a job that, that I cho- profession I chose, and people have a right to hold us accountable. So he, 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 he got talking and he says, well, well, you know, because uh, some World War I veterans, they're, they're, they're upset. I said, well, first of all, World War I veterans are dead. I mean, I, I don't know when it's living. I mean, and that's exactly what I said. And when he both of us chuckled, well, World War II, they don't like where this country is going because I said, well, you mean the same World War II veterans that felt it not a crime to have my great-grandfather, a World War II veteran, or, and others sit behind the German prisoners because they were African-American or black. They didn't see a problem with that, but they see a problem with people fighting for social justice. And he and I just had that dialogue and no one got mad. Yeah. So that opportunity at a yard sale. And then what I did afterwards, I gave him the vote. My wife said, why do you do that? I said, because every time he thinks about a stupid statement, I'm looking at that boat and said, that guy gave me that boat. <laughs> what a flex. Right? <laughs> He gave me that boat. <laughs> what a flex. That boat's not been in the water once because that man is full of so, so much spite. He's like. Right. He's, that man gave me that boat. As you know, you can take the boat. My wife said, what was that? I said, because every, I want him to, and I realize that when he says something, I want him to think that we had this conversation. Yeah. And that boat is going to be a reminder of him that I can't be so shallow and think that the only world that matters is mine. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's easy to feel that way, right? Because we're all the masters of our own universe. Absolutely. And, and our perspective. Yeah. And you gotta you, you gotta just constantly try to check yourself, check your ego and understand like just because I'm feeling this way about something doesn't mean that's the way it is. Right. Right. Or I'm even I may feel strongly about it, but let me hear another perspective. Yeah. Let me consider. It may not change my mind, right. but it may give me a better understanding of where you're coming from. And until we can do that, we're going to continue to be on polar opposite sides because 
I'm only looking at stuff from my perspective. You look at stuff from your perspective and not just having a dialogue about yeah. why I feel a certain way. And then you find no commonality, right? That, that's why the right. whole polarizing politics, you don't get anything past the legislation because it's like, whatever, let's say we don't agree on the boxes. You're, you're completely wrong. Everyone should have one box. And you're like, no, let's make it equitable. And now we just hate each other. Well, how are we going to work on body cams? Anything. Body cams. Right. right? Like how, how, do, how do we then have a conversation because we were so uncivil and just nasty to each other on a point of disagreement? Like it, it shouldn't be that way. You should be more mature um, Absolutely. in those positions. So, yeah, and we I, are setting examples for the young. Yeah. Because they learn how to deal with adversity and stuff and disagreements because they look and listen at us. Lorenzo, man, I'm uh, so glad we got to speak. Um, I'm so glad I follow you on uh, Facebook now just to see the stuff you post. The, the, the breakdown you had posted about a cop's typical day and the percentage of mm-hmm. time where they like actually are doing law crime, enforcement, crime, right. like fighting crime, and why are we putting so much extra money into it just to have them do administrative BS. Like, stuff like that is just a good, to me, a great use of social media because mm-hmm. I enjoy the mental stimulation, not just like, it's nice to see kids at the beach, people's families or whatever, <laughs> post some nice pics at the bar, like that's cool. But it's also good to have people out there just putting out messages to make you think about things and to make right. you I, I just try to educate. That's all yeah. I, most of the time you see, you, you see very motivational. I do go side, side sometimes to point stuff out, uh, hypocrisy. Yeah. But most of the stuff you'll see from me is I'm trying to prove a point or show people that, hey, you got to think about this differently, or this is hypocrisy. Yeah. We, we can't say this about one thing or the other. And that wasn't, again, it's not a slam on law enforcement. I work, I love law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. That's how I made my living. I make really good money doing that stuff. Yeah. But the issue is, I want to give people the facts. We spent $182 billion in 2019, man. For 13% of a workday or something like that. I forget what the yeah. percentage was. But it's like, when you think about that, and you're like, hey, let me say this out loud. Does it make sense? And then maybe now change can happen because we could take, I don't know, a hundred billion of that and shift it to early prevention counseling. And prevention. Yeah, prevention. It's Absolutely. that balance I talked about, right? It's that balance. Yeah. So no, I, I love that about um your Facebook and Cliff's Facebook too. He's a uh, he's he's an educator, man. Dude, he <laughs> He's an educator. I get lot like I read pretty often. And mm-hmm. as soon as I see the more button where I have to like read the post and you just know it's going to, it's not just going to be like another sentence. It's going to be multiple paragraphs. Mm-hmm. I got to catch myself to be like, let me make sure I have time to actually read and think about this. You hear him often say education through social media. Yeah. No. It, that's it, one of his catchphrases. He says education. That's his whole goal to educate through social media. I love it, man. And I love the fact that um, we live in Delaware and now because of COVID. And we're capable of Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, that is that is kind of funny. I mean, really, like just the small world, man. I love um, I love what you're about. I loved having you on, Lorenzo. Thank you um so much for what you do in your service. I really appreciate it. No problem, brother. Thank you for having me on. And and again, hopefully, we can inspire people to have the dialogue. And I like the fact that you didn't shy away from asking the questions because your audience needs to hear civil discussion and dialogue. We don't have to always agree, but we at least have to hear each other out. Yeah. So that's. And we've ended this thing like twice, but this is, this is like where I don't understand because I feel like I'm very earnest. And when I ask questions, I'm not doing it to be a dick, but I feel like so many people like the box, like a box question, people Mm -hmm. feel that, but they don't ever raise the hand in the training and say, but why is it fair to give two to one? 
And like, Absolutely. then listen, like there, there's this weird public fear of, mm-hmm. especially for like the, the white dudes that I talk to of like, I don't want to be a racist. Like I ask a question now, all of a sudden I'm a racist where I'm like, really, it's a moralistic argument. And that's, kind un- of thing. And that's, un- and that's unfair that that shouldn't happen. Um, because people should be able to hear you out. Now, I know racism when I see it. I mean, yeah. because people that don't know somebody's heart, hell, I can tell you where their heart says what, what based on their actions and what come out of their mouth. I, <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not rocket scientists, right? I mean, I study yeah. people for a living, I'm a social scientist, but right, that, that's so what you. What you're saying is even the mere mention of I'm not saying that I disagree. I'm telling you that from my perspective, how is that fair? Yeah, well, I just don't like that. There's Fear of conversation, and we have, to, and I'm gonna find a way to break that. We have to find. You know it. what I'm and saying? Like I, want and I people... had that conversation before on our radio, our podcast. We had, a, we were really going strong on our podcast before, and we had people there who disagreed, and we had actually had. I'm talking from politics to race, and we had those conversations. We made it a safe place and safe yeah. space to do so. Because th- that's really what you gotta do, man. Like it's okay to ask stupid questions if you can do it in a respectful, appropriate way, and then if you're also good with now listening to the answer. <laughs> to right. some of your silly, stupid questions. Like, don't ask a question. So, why do you get two boxes? That's unfair. And now I refuse to. Like, la, la, hear la, that. la, 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 yeah. la. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But right. I, I, the, that's the one thing that I, I, I have fear, worry. When I sit in some of these trainings, and it, it it's almost not like it's it's not like a white guilt thing. Because I think almost like black on black crime, the white guilt thing can get a little overused. But mm-hmm. that's how people are taking it. And you're like, or could it just be education? Or why, why don't you ask? But like, excuse me. But like, it's up to the instructor to set the tone and say, look, no question is stupid. This is a safe place. I want everyone to understand. We're going to have some tough conversations here. Yeah. And if you ever brought myself or Cliff in to do that stuff, we, that's what we'll, we'll bring. There's some tough conversations. We're going to have tough. And what we say in this room is not personal. It's not about being racist. We're trying to get to a point of understanding. Yeah. We don't have to agree, but a point of understanding. If someone has a question you don't agree with, we're going to respond. And guess what? Even if we don't agree when we leave here, at least the conversation would have. Because what we can't do is shut each other down because we'll never reach that common goal or build bridges that way. Yeah, because then you just assume people's intentions. And that's terrible. Yes. You're just filling in all their emotional motivations for actions and... Why don't you just ask them? Like, like, hey, how come you said that? <laughs> Instead of I assuming. don't like being painted with. A, I don't like being painted with one brush, and I wouldn't yeah. paint anybody else with one. I never. Yeah. And you, I hate when people share memes that, well, the way black people do this or white people do that, because we're not a monolith. Yeah. People are different. Yeah. And your reason for asking a question could be different than the biggest reason to ask a question. Your reason <laughs> to ask a question. No, seriously, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. That's true. You asked a question and we talked about, you asked, I think, about black-on-black crime. Okay, if you, if, what about, if you don't want to be singing out, what about Black Lives Matter? To yeah. me, that stuff are valid questions, right? Yeah, yeah. But if we never have that conversation, or I say, well, you just raise it. No, no, no. Yeah. You earnestly want to know. Now, a bigot, he, he'll throw that back at you and go, yeah, well, until you address it, don't say nothing. Well, wait a minute. You can't say what you want to say and I don't get to say what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just... Uh, Part of, again, not to make it all about me, but part of what I like by doing this and having people like you on is like trying to create a culture of like, it's okay with good intentions, honest, earnest Absolutely. intentions to talk about things. 
Cause you anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think what you're doing is some great work. I believe you don't know how powerful it is, but someone gonna listen who doesn't know me tonight. They don't have to agree with me, but at least they'll know. Wow. They actually had some serious dialogue. And guess what? Sean said to his upbringing, their upbringings weren't much different. Yeah. No matter the heal your skin, it wasn't much different. So if we can start breaking those bridges down one listener at a time, right? think about if another listener here is just, all right, I'm going to have a conversation with my black friend or someone I know. You right. won. You succeeded. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. Great point, my friend. So glad to have you Thank on. You. I promise I'll end it this time. Thank you. No problem, brother. Have a good one. <laughs> <You're safe. laughs> all right, thanks. On the subject I like most, getting to know you. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Listeners, search him up. What else are you doing right now? The podcast is over. Andre Psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Thanks to Dewey Crush, the summer's most sought out and coveted East Coast drink for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Bring a case of Dewey Crush, the delicious, refreshing, ready-to-drink canned cocktail with you for your next summer event. Why? So you can crush it. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Please, dear listeners, go to our Patreon. Support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or would like to just support us in improving the quality, distribution, and production of the pod. It's getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod. If you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and finally, you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. How to make it happen? Just DM us, send us a message, email. You could call if you can find my number. Later, listeners.